Stealth Boom Boom, a fortnightly podcast about some great stealth slash stealthy video games and also some rubbish ones. On every episode, we go in-depth and all spoilery on one specific game and we discuss whether said game stealth and its boom boom are up to snuff. My name is Colin Ahern, and joining me on this episode is a man that was cooking a tikka masala at 6pm on day one. It's Adam Carroll. Good evening. And alongside him, a man that was microwaving a Rustler's burger at 10pm on Ooh. day three, it's Josh Wise. <laughs> Hello. Rustlers are poor. Well, I mean, look, I'm not going to judge anyone's choices because I was talking into an early selection box at 1am. On day two, so... Oh, delicious. You gotta do what you gotta do, and all will become clear, of course. It sounds big brothery. I mean, I guess it's big brothery, but it's also the game we're discussing today, Josh. (laughs) Anyway, before we chat about the game we're discussing today, we need to get into the right headspace. And that means looking at what was happening in the world on and around the date that today's game came out. So, lads... Get that confetti popping because tonight, tonight we're going to party, party like, like it's, it's November, November 6th, 2003. And because we were talking about Big Brother. Well, not because we were talking about but Anyway, that was a Channel 4 show. And two days prior on November the 4th, another Channel 4 staple had been running for 21 years and the world mourned its loss as it aired the final episode. Of course, I am talking... Eurotrash. Brookside. <laughs> Similar in many ways to Eurotrash. Oh yeah, forgot about Brookside. I've never heard of Brookside. No. I've never heard of it. Nope, I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> oh, Ricky Tomlinson, I know him. What's he in? Is he Royal Family Ricky, Yeah, Ricky Tomlinson, Claire, Claire Sweeney had his career afterwards. Jennifer Ellison. <laughs> Well, if nothing else, we've introduced Adam Carroll to Brookside and I think we can consider this podcast a success. (laughs) Now, on the 2nd of November, one of the greatest television shows of all time would premiere on Fox in America. It was the story of a wealthy family who lost everything and the one son who had no choice but to keep them all together. It was Arrested Development. And... On the date the game we're discussing today came out, pop stars from all around the globe descended on Edinburgh, Scotland for the MTV Europe Music Awards. Mm. Woo, big night. The big winner of the night was a man we have spoken about. I think he had one number one on it. He probably did on a previous podcast. Uh, It was Justin Timberlake who picked up three awards. He won Best Male, Best Pop and Best Album for his debut solo record, Justified. Mm. I like Best Pop because I like to imagine it was he made his own red lemonade, <laughs> but I have a feeling it's to do with the genre. Uh, keeping it on music, JT wasn't topping the American charts. No, it was Beyonce featuring Sean Paul with the song Baby Boy, 
which had spent six weeks at number one at that stage. I can't remember Baby Boy. Baby Boy, you stay on my mind. Oh, yeah. I remember Baby Boy. Yeah, yeah. I remember Baby Boy now. Thank you very much, Josh. And also, uh, if you you could sing this next one, Uh it would really warm my heart. Because meanwhile, in the UK, enjoying their second week at number one with Be Faithful was Fat Man Scoop with the Crooklyn Clan. I can't really remember. No, that's all I needed, to be honest. Thank you very much. In movies then, cinema goers in both the UK and America were being wildly, wildly disappointed by the third film in a sci-fi action trilogy that eventually became a quadrilogy. Yes, The Matrix Revolutions was topping the box office charts mm. across the globe. So it was like, the, they do re- Reloaded and Revolutions in the same year. Yeah, I think that was the case. Wow, so I remember that film being like, like not good. No, it's not. Big robots fighting at the end. It all got a bit, bit silly, didn't it, really? So that's what was happening around the world in and around the date. The game we're discussing today came out. So now let us discuss the game that we're talking about today in a bit more detail in a segment we like to call Back of the Box. So yes, the game we're talking about today was called Forbidden Siren, brackets in PAL regions and Siren, just Siren, everywhere else. I think at the end of last episode, Josh, you said you preferred Siren rather than Forbidden Siren. And and, because we sometimes get this rubbish bloody um project zero instead of fatal frame fatal frame is such a good name you know why do we get lumped with project zero? and forbid it just sounds silly siren so much better so much cleaner now what is forbidden siren well let me try and tell you um uh i, I don't know i don't know i always try to come up with some pithy bullshit thing for this bit uh, add a bit of levity to proceedings, but it's probably for the best that our listeners just know it's a third-person stealth horror game. And listen, more colour will be added as we go on. It's a tricky one to sum up in a sentence. <laughs> it, it really is. So what did this come out on then? Some platforms and release dates here I have for you. It came to PlayStation 2. On the 6th of November 2003, uh, or in Japan. Then it came to Europe on the 12th of March 2004, and America a month later in April 2004. It uh, got a re-release on the PlayStation 4, with like, it it was upscaled, it uh, had trophy support and all that, uh, in June 2016. And then, uh, actually, well I suppose, yeah, going back then to 2008, Something came to the PlayStation 3 called Siren Forbidden Curse, or sorry, Siren Blood Curse. Mm. Uh, that came in July 2008, which was a reimagining of Forbidden Siren. And after playing Forbidden Siren, I'm quite curious as to what that is. Maybe we will get to it at a later date. I should note, right, in early September-ish, it was discovered that Sony renewed the Forbidden Siren slash Siren trademark. So at the time of recording, I don't know if that's a new game or a remake or whatever, but the series might actually be making a comeback. Maybe you, dear listener, know more by the time you're listening to this, but that is what we know 
right now. This then is the part of the podcast where we look at the back of the physical box. And what all of us have here in front of us is the back of the UK PS2 box. And honestly, it's a it's a bit boring. Not that the back of the box is boring per se, but just there's nothing really terribly funny <laughs> on it Uh, it's a lot of things that we're going to be talking about as we go along anyway there is one thing that I wanted to note on the back of the box and that is the URL which is www.forbidden-siren.com now I don't know what was on forbidden-siren.com in 2003 but in 2023 Uh if you go to that website It appears to be like a fan blog or something, right? Oh my god, this is But great. not just for Forbidden Siren. <laughs> like, if you go there, you will also find links to articles on Battlefield and Pro Evolution Soccer 2011. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's so weird. Oh, wow. Mortal Kombat. I'm loving this. Watchdogs. <laughs> There's stuff about candles. <laughs> If whoever's listening to this, if if you know anything about ForbiddenSiren.com, get in touch because we want to know what's gone on there. Please, this is this is delightful stuff. Um, so yeah, there's there's the most interesting point on the back of the uh, the physical box. So now, what I usually do is recap the story for all of you. So, right, I'll go into this more in depth later. But the story of Forbidden Siren isn't told in sequential order when you're playing it, right? But for the purposes of this bit of the podcast, I'm going to tell you the basic story in the order in which things happen. All right, I'm going to try because it's it's difficult. All right, so it all takes place in this fictional village called Hanuda. Um, a group of people in the village are performing a ritual in the forest and then there's what appears to be an earthquake. Then this village becomes a sort of island with this kind of red water surrounding the village. So this happens because a young boy called Kyoye Asuda interrupts the ritual. And basically, the townsfolk believe in this god called Datasushi. And what they were doing is they were sacrificing a girl named Miyako Kajiro because they thought she was holy because she has psychic abilities. I I guess they thought Datasushi would think this sacrifice was cool. (laughs) I I don't know. (laughs) But the, the ritual interruption then allows the psychic girl to run away. So the ritual is a bust. And then that causes this sort of earthquake. And then the village breaks the space-time continuum. Listen, it's very hard. Um, So look, the siren in the name Forbidden Siren is the call of this god, Datasushi. This is the big man calling the residents to get in the red water. And when they do that, they basically work for him because they become uh, something called Shibito. From what I found online... Shibito roughly translates to corpse people, right? So Datasushi wants the Shibito to kill all the humans that are left in Hanuda. So off they go, doing his bidding. And the Shibito, I suppose I should note, for all intents and purposes, they're zombies. Like they shuffle around, they groan, the whole kit and caboodle. The only thing is 
that's different to zombies that I can think of is that they sort of cry blood from their eyeballs. Mm. So that's brilliant. Very, very good. Anyway, a lot of stuff happens in between, but ultimately the boy who fucked the ritual, Kyoya Suda, he kills Data Sushi after three days in Haneda. Now, that really is more of a synopsis than any sort of thorough recap, and for a few reasons. One, I didn't finish this game. And I will explain why later. So I can't really go through every pertinent beat. And two, you play as 10 different characters in the game and each of them has their own little stories. So we're going to talk more about that as we go along. All right. (laughs) Anyway, moving on to something I can talk a bit more (laughs) concretely on is the developer. So the team that develops Forbidden Siren is called Project Siren. But before we get on to that, or go get on to them, I must give you a little bit on the first party studio that Sony set up in 1993 called Japan Studio. So... Japan Studio was established to create games for Sony's first console, the original PlayStation, which uh, first came out in Japan in 95. Now, I'm not going to go too in-depth on them because I know we're planning on doing an episode on at least one Japan Studio game in year two of Stealth Boom Boom. So I'm not going to give you the whole history of them now because we're going to do it then. Uh, But to rattle off a few of the other Japan Studio games up until the launch of Forbidden Siren, you have Ark the Lad, Parappa the Rapper, Intelligent Cube, Everybody's Golf, Legend of Dragoon. Now, the reason I'm mentioning Japan Studio is because they were the parent developer of the team behind Forbidden Siren, Project Siren. So Project Siren set up in 1999 with uh, Sony employing a number of developers that previously worked at Team Silent. Now, Team Silent, if you don't know, was the developer behind the first four Silent Hill games. Maybe the biggest name to make the jump was Keichiro Toyama, who was the director, writer and background designer of the original Silent Hill. And in fact... He began his development career as a graphic designer for Snatcher, Hmm. which is a game that was mentioned during our Metal Gear Solid episode, of course. However, even before Siren, Toyama, along with a number of people who worked on both Silent Hill and Siren, worked on a PS2 game called, and I apologize for my pronunciation here, or for any of the names that I will be saying throughout this episode, because I'm probably going to butcher them. But yeah, they worked on a PS2 game called Yoke no Mariko. In short, it's it was kind of like Lips or Singstar, if you remember them. But, but not singing, this game was for voice acting. So what would happen is scenes would play out and then you, into your microphone, you must perform lines of dialogue. You're, I guess you're kind of dubbing it. It sounds like such a mad idea. Like, it never launched in the West, and I am sad for that reason, because I'd like to play that game. I want to know what it is. In a bloody disgusting article published in November 2018 called The Making of Siren, how Silent Hill's creator redesigned survival horror, Toyama told Bloody Disgusting that after Silent Hill, he felt uh, he needed to move on. He said, quote, Silent Hill set a bold new standard, and I am proud of what we accomplished. But I was under a lot of pressure in my position and my lack of experience led to a lot of issues as I managed the team. To be frank, I lost confidence in my ability to direct. In order to make a fresh start, I joined Sony to work as an artist in an entirely unrelated genre. It was there that I gained the experience I needed and I had the chance to learn how to lead a team naturally. 
even as I was working in a different genre, I was stocking up new horror ideas. When the time came for me to take on the directorship of a title once again, I chose to make a horror title. There were apparently a lot of different pieces of media that inspired Forbidden Siren, according to Toyama. You had Battle Royale, the work of manga artist Junji Ito, as well as a Japanese TV adaptation of H.P. Lovecraft's The Shadow Over Innsmouth. Now, Bloody Disgusting mentioned that one real-world event also inspired the game. So, in 1938, something called the Suyazma uh, Massacre took place. And this was where a 21-year-old went on a rampage, killing half of his village with an axe, a shotgun, and a katana. Jesus. Not terribly cheery, but there you go. Uh, I suppose it's worth mentioning as well that Toyama had been thinking about Forbidden Siren from around the year 2000, 2001. And in fact, some questions that press asked him while he was promoting Silent Hill uh, sort of spurred on Forbidden Siren in a way. So in an interview he did for Siren Maniacs, which was a companion guide slash book that released in 2004 in Japan and then translated to English by a website called FF Translation. Uh, In that, Toyama said, quote, A long time ago, when I was getting materials from foreign press to do with Silent Hill, they would ask me things like, You're Japanese. Why are you making a game that sounds like a Hollywood movie? I guess they're right. Also, when I started formulating ideas for Siren, the movie version of The Ring had achieved worldwide popularity. I guess you could summarise the phenomenon as a J-horror boom. That's when I decided I wanted to try showing the world original Japanese horror. Writer Naoko Sato, another Team Silent alumnus, was also instrumental to Siren's development. In her interview with Siren Maniacs, she was asked what made her want to set the story in Japan rather than in America like Silent Hill. And she said, quote, I believe that fear is an emotion that sits between normality and abnormality. Speaking honestly about it now, back when we were making Silent Hill, I constantly doubted it. I was thinking, is this actually realistic? The game is set in a city in America, but even when we put in things to suit a town like a drugstore with the stars and stripes flag fluttering outside, or a metal collection box on the side of the pavement, I constantly had a twinge of doubt as to whether or not it was realistic. The normality I know best as someone born and raised here in Japan is naturally that of this country. When I started thinking this way, I said, I want to make a game set in Japan. I also wanted to base it in in, in the darkness of the country, which most Japanese people feel physically with its damn climate, a kind of unease that is hard to explain. One thing we're going to be discussing a lot, it's basically the game's main hook, is the sightjacking system. We're going to give you a more thorough breakdown later on, but in short, uh, you're able to jump to a first-person view and then jump to an enemy's line of sight using the power of your mind. Essentially, you're able to just see what an enemy is looking at. Now, Toyama said the team suffered some technical issues with the system. He said, quote, To maintain sight jack consistency, we had to retain every single shibito and environmental effect in memory and track their movements, even if they were entirely in the background and unable to be seen. This restriction posed a huge problem for the technology of the time. But Toyama's fairly confident they got around that because of a staff that he said had a very positive attitude towards their work. And I guess we'll say later on whether we think they did. 
get around some of those technical issues. <laughs> Project Siren tried to blur the lines between reality and fiction too. Uh, so speaking again with Siren Maniacs, uh, Toyama said that they set up a message board that referenced the events of the game, as well as a website called The Truth Behind the Hanuda Incident. Toyama said, quote, That was based on the impression that the movie The Blair Witch Project left on me. If people who didn't really know what the game was about saw it online, they might think it was a real incident that actually happened, which is the effect I was going for. So the game was eventually unveiled at a PlayStation Experience event in London in late August 2003. A week later, Sony Europe uh, released a bit more info on the game. And then in November of that year, a teaser site went live. We're obviously going to go more in depth as we go on. Uh, so I think that's as good a point as any to say that that is the story of the Project Siren team up until the launch of Forbidden Siren. So the publisher then is Sony Interactive Entertainment. And along with Ubisoft, most definitely the publisher we've discussed the most on here. And we've even covered this period of the company. So if you want more on Sony, first listen to our Sly Cooper and the Thieves Raccoonus episode, mm. our first full podcast. And then have a listen to the 11th game that uh, we covered this year, our episode on The Last of Us. So sales then of Siren, Forbidden Siren, Siren. Um, very hard, very hard to find sales numbers on this game. The best thing I could find was from a GameSpot article where they mentioned that the game sold 76,000 copies in its first week in Japan. Oh, cool. I don't know if they did those numbers every week for a year or if it went down after the first... I have no idea. <laughs> Got off to a decent start. <laughs> the critical reception of this one on PS2, it is sitting on a 72. And that is your Siren, Forbidden Siren, Siren, back of the box. So we are going to take a quick break and then we'll be back to talk about the marketing and press coverage of Forbidden Siren. But before that, or what you, dear listener, can do is you can listen to a trailer that I found on the internet simply titled Forbidden Siren USA Trailer. Take a listen to this and then we'll be back to talk about that and so much more Forbidden Siren. Let us chat about the marketing and press coverage, the pre-launch marketing and pre-launch press coverage of Forbidden Siren. Uh, but first, as we always do on this podcast, let's 
look at the pre-launch marketing and discuss the trailer that our listeners just listened to. And that is the Forbidden Siren USA trailer. It's pretty mad. It's pretty (laughs) weird. It's very eye-catching, very ear-catching. There's a lot of like TV static and... It's good. I'm a big fan of this trailer. I like a trailer to... Because these days, it, you feel like you watched the whole bloody movie or played the whole... Get- this trailer, you, when you see it, you just think, well, I'm a bit unnerved and my, my, my day has been spoiled by the atmosphere here. In a good way, in a sort of horror way. But then also, you just, you'd also sort of go, well, what the hell is that game? Maybe I should rent it from Choices Video and find out what it is <laughs> or purchase it, you know. So I think it's an effective trailer. It's freaky. Yeah. But you don't know what the fuck you're thinking... I guess it's got little bits of game. You can cut, you can tell, oh, it's going to be a sort of Resi-style survival horror. But you must just be watching that thinking, well, how does all that fit together? It's obviously that kind of whole Japanese horror atmosphere that's just, it's soaked in. And to be honest, when it gets to the gameplay side of it, that's where I was like, oh, okay, all right. Not because I've played it, like, but it's just, <laughs> it is just... It's not pleasant, is it? Like you're 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 on edge when you're watching even just the trailer, and like it, it shows off a good example of its overall atmosphere and its sound. Well, talking about things that aren't pleasant because. That's all the marketing I have for you, lads. I don't have any more. There are a few Japanese trailers, but like they don't really make good good uh, audio on the podcast. But that that's kind of it, really. So let us get into some pre-launch press coverage. And as I mentioned, unpleasantness, uh, particularly for some people in Japan. So we're first going to look at an article published on GameSpot on the 12th of November 2003 titled SCE Pulls Forbidden Siren Commercial in Japan. So we're kind of bridging the... Gra- like it's a little bit of marketing, mm-hmm. a little bit of pre-launch press coverage. So, yeah, Sony had to pull an ad that they were airing on television for Forbidden Siren because parents were saying that the advert was scaring their children. (laughs) So before we actually talk about it, and a couple of quotes here as well that I want you to read from the article, we're going to play the audio of the the trailer. So it's only about 15 seconds. Uh, Take a listen to this. So listening to it, actually, just the audio, it's a lot scarier, I think. Mm. But what it is, is there is a a man and a woman sitting on the couch. They're watching television and it's nighttime. The curtains are open and someone is banging on their window and they look over. It's a little girl and then blood starts coming out of her eyes. And then they go, ah, and then you hear the man go, siren. (laughs) It's also in the game as well, I suppose, I I should say. And that scene is is in the game. Uh, There's an excerpt here from the GameSpot article that I'd like you to read for me, Josh. So, quote. The ad began airing on, on November 3rd. And although SCE has only received seven complaints thus far, the the company announced Monday that they will be withdrawing the commercial and replacing it with an ad for another game. Seven. Seven. Seven is enough, is it? 
sort of quite surprising. Uh, but we also have a quote here from a Sony spokesperson. If you would read it for me, Adam, please. Quote. We tried to make sure that the fear factor in the commercial was appropriate before it went on air, but it still made people feel, un- it still made people uncomfortable. So we decided to suspend it. We will take this experience into consideration for the future. Now here is, I'm going to put on my tinfoil hat, right? <laughs> now I don't know, maybe seven complaints is enough. But do you think they got the seven complaints and were like, do you know what? Let's pull it mm-hmm. and then we'll have people talking about our advert that we had to pull, that we in quotes had to pull. <laughs> that is, that's a sexy conspiracy. And I'm a big <laughs> fan of sexy conspiracies. And I'm going to say yes, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, seven is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Come on. Oh, that is just a bit bonkers, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Uh, another thing here, uh, posted on the 19th of April 2004 on GameSpy, just titled Siren Video Interview. And I wanted to play a clip of, uh, at the time, Sony America producer on Siren, Deborah Mars. And in this clip, you're going to hear her talking about how Siren isn't like the other bollocks horror games on the market. (laughs) All right. It's not like all that other useless stuff. This thing is about strategy. It's not about button mashing. All right. And you're also going to hear how there isn't the place isn't flooded with guns and ammo. This is a hardcore horror game. So take a listen to this. Siren is not your typical um, splatter horror game. Um, We feel as though Siren's actually kind of almost redefining or or evolving the survival horror genre. Just running around and button mashing and killing zombies left and right, you're not going to see that in Siren. That's not what this game is all about. This game is about, um, it's about strategy, it's about stealth, it's about thinking through your moves, and it's not necessarily about just shock for shock value. Um, And uh, you're not always given a weapon. So if you are fortunate enough to have a shotgun or a revolver, um, you want to be strategic about how you use it um, because you don't don't have endless amounts of of bullets or ammunition. So it may be that you um, happen to see a Shibito and you fire at the Shibito, and if you're out of bullets, that's it, you're out. Um, And so you need to kind of readjust your strategy and how you're going to move through the area to escape the Shibido with, you know, without getting harmed. Do you hear that, Resident Evil? Load of old shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that, um, incidentally, is that uh, Annapurna Interactive, Deborah Mars? It is one of the founders and co-president of Annapurna Interactive, oh, Deborah Mars. Oh, brilliant. So the next thing I wanted to highlight is, I, I guess this would have been uh, in March 2004, on the uh, official PlayStation 2 magazine, UK, issue number 44. And this was a making of video that was on the demo disc that came with the magazine. And I have a clip here of writer and director Keichiro Toyama talking about how the team wanted to frighten the bejesus out of players and the best way they thought they could do that is by capturing facial expressions of the actors and then putting their real faces in the game. It's not something we've spoken about yet, I suppose, but it is something I know we'll be talking about throughout. But very quickly, yeah, it's, it's, you are seeing real faces in this game because they've taken pitch. Well, look, I'll, I'll play the clip. And you can hear the men talk about it. We want the player to experience fear as a real emotion, just as they would in real life. 
We focused on certain elements in the game that helped us to achieve this. By dressing up and putting makeup on real actors and then filming their facial expressions and body movements from eight different camera angles, we've created a strong sense of realism. I suppose a, a more well-known example would be something like L.A. Noir. Obviously, the technology mm. is, you know, worlds apart, mm. but that's uh, something. Another uh, clip I wanted to play for you, and this is, really, this, this is so odd, right? So in official PlayStation magazine US, number 81, which came out in June 2004, there was also a making of Forbidden Siren on that, but it was a different making of. I don't know why. It's just, well, I suppose different teams and all that. But in uh, this (laughs) clip that I'm going to play for you, you're going to hear executive producer Takafumi Fujisawa explaining the map in the game and comparing it to orienteering. This game does not show where you are in the map. It's like orienteering using only a compass and a map. You're in the same situation in the game, but in a horror environment. I wanted to have players develop their imagination in this game. So uh, I'm playing you the, the clips like that and other clips to just show you how hardcore they wanted this game to be. And it was definitely, they were making deliberate choices. <laughs> and I want to talk about the map a bit later. So we'll, we will get onto that. But yeah, that is your pre-launch marketing and pre-launch press coverage of Forbidden Siren. So we are going to take a quick break and then we'll be back to give you our opinion on this very game. So yeah, we'll be back right after this. All right, then, let us chat about our opinions of Forbidden Siren. But just before we get on to that, in this review section of the podcast, I want to know your uh, your knowledge of the game before you played it for this podcast. So, Adam Carroll, tell me, were you... Were you a siren maniac? I knew of the game when it was kind of around because it would have been the time I was like really and truly just taking in everything horror related. Every movie horror, every game horror. But this for some reason was just too hard to find. It just was incredibly pricey to get a copy of this game. I felt anyway like and I think to this day it still is quite a a difficult game to get a physical copy of I think that's why like with it being on PS Plus I think it is yeah it is because that's Mm -hmm. why I played it it helped a lot but yeah this game is going for major money Josh Wise I believe you were a siren maniac I was yeah I was a siren nut Um, I was my friend uh, Joe shout out to uh, Joe Moore big up Joe Moore big up Joe Moore Uh, he he had a load of weird stuff on uh, on his games console. He was one of those kids where he had like a chipped. He was it was a naughty kid, you know, when they chip the consoles and they could burn all sorts mm. of CDs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was going around Joe Moore's house to get the get the get the dodgy stuff going on over there. And he had this, and he had the first sight Silent Hill as well. And I remember he put this on, uh, and it scared the shite out of us. And it was it was a, just a sleepover, you know. But um, there was it was like oh, there was another lad there. There was like three of us, and we all did that thing where we we sort of tried to make shit jokes and sort of take the piss out of the game and sort of pretend that we weren't scared. But <laughs> but we absolutely just were, and 
Yeah, it was this other guy. He just took, just took out his phone and started texting someone. And I was like, you're definitely just scared of it, mate. <laughs> and in the end, I think Joe, someone, he made an excuse about something or other. And we decided to put on, <laughs> we decided to put on the South Park movie, Bigger, Longer and Uncut. That's what a time capsule. What a double feature. I know. Yeah. <laughs> phenomenal stuff. Um, but yes, yeah, so I know. But, but that was, and then because years down the line, I thought, I've always thought of it as, oh God, yeah, that game's fucking chilling. And then here we are. I, like neither of you, I have had zero knowledge of this game before I added to, added, added it to our spreadsheet sometime, I think, at the start of this year when I was just looking up stealth games. I was like, Forbidden Siren, oh, what's that? <laughs> yeah, I, like, I'm fairly confident I had no knowledge of it whatsoever. So for those of you that didn't play along at home, let me explain to you what Forbidden Siren is. So, Forbidden Siren is a stealth horror game that is split up into 60 plus contained smaller missions, right? These missions will mostly have clear and simple objectives like reach the road to insert place name here with insert character name here or escape from insert character, like insert enemy name here, that kind of thing, right? In each mission, you will play as one of 10 different characters. (laughs) So structurally, this game is an interweaving story that takes place over three days using the aforementioned 10 playable characters and some NPCs too in things like escort missions. So you're seeing events from the perspective of different people at different times. So for example, Mission 13 sees you play as, let's just call them character A. And the mission will take place at 2 a.m. on day one. Then let's say mission 14 sees you play as character B at 1 a.m. on day two. And then mission 15 will see you play as character C at 10 p.m. on day one. And then it might go back around to character A or it might go to character D or whatever. So you aren't witnessing the events of the game in chronological order. It's just, it's jumping around the timeline and you're jumping around to different uh, playable characters as well. So as said, each mission is usually get from point A to point B. However, you must also do this without being spotted by the zombie enemies, the Shibito. So there's a lot of hiding and running away from them. If they spot you, you're often dead. Sometimes the characters you're controlling have weapons, sometimes they don't. And the main way to avoid your enemy's line of sight is through something we've already mentioned called sight jacking. And we're going to talk about sight jacking right after I explain the structure of our reviews. So, how we review a game here on Stealth Boom Boom is we split the game up into different parts. We first talk about the game Stealth. Then we talk about the game's Boom Boom, which is its more explosive bits, and just the other gameplay bits as well that aren't stealthy. Then we talk about the most noteworthy mission level or area that stood out to each of us. Then we talk about the story, and then we have a miscellaneous section at the end where we can just add anything that doesn't fit into any of the other categories. So, let us first talk about the stealth of Forbidden Siren. All right. I mentioned it there a second ago. Let's jack in and talk <laughs> about the very, very cool idea that is sight jacking. I think it's worth actually breaking down how this works because it is a bit different. When you press the L2 button, 
you see some static on screen, some t- TV static. Then when you move the left analog stick around, you'll begin to tune into the sight of enemies and NPCs that are on the map of that mission. Because you'll see through their eyes, you'll have an idea of where they, uh, where the enemies are because you'll see what they're looking at. But you'll also get an idea of where they are because of where you wiggle the analog stick. So if you move the analog stick to the right and the sight of an enemy is tuned in, then you know that there's an enemy to your right. In order for you not to do that every time, because that would be very annoying, you're able to sort of save another character's eyes to one of the face buttons, like you're kind of, I don't know, saving channels on an old telly or saving presets <laughs> on the radio. And yeah, that, that is super handy because the game takes place in this world that is, it's really dark and it's often very foggy. And because of that, the draw distance intentional or otherwise, or maybe maybe both, it's super limited. I suppose it, we spoke about something similar with like Tenshu and it's, it's darkness yes. and how it probably is both intentional and a limitation of the, uh, of the hardware. It's probably a little from column A, a little from column B. Hmm. So being able to sight jack quickly means you don't have to fumble around with tuning in each time. Uh, my strategy was always do it at the beginning of a level and then you're golden. And mm. then you can kind of, you know, quickly jump around. So uh, just to repeat myself, what a cool, cool thing. All right? Sounds <laughs> amazing. And, and a very necessary thing because, I mean, I, I played the clip earlier, and that's why I kind of wanted to play it, where the map was compared to orienteering. What a wrong move. What a, <laughs> what a, what a very, very wrong move. So in short, you can pull up a map and on the map, you'll see various landmarks where you are, right? But you won't see your character. There's no indication as to where you are. You're meant to try and place yourself by seeing these landmarks in-game, like your orienteering. For reasons that will become clear the more I say about this game, just an awful decision. Like, give me a fucking break here. On so many aspects, it feels like the game is actively working against you. It's trying to be hardcore and ultimately ends up just being frustrating. Anyway, by sightjacking, you're able to see if an enemy is stationary or if they're on a path or if they have a gun. So like, as well as being pivotal for discovering where enemies are in relation to you, uh, you'll also see whether they're holding a weapon because, you know, they'll just be walking around then they'll look down a bit and, oh, they they have a gun, whatever. Um, and I, I, I mentioned this earlier, but if they have a gun, you want to try and avoid them at all costs, especially if you don't have anything because you can be downed in maybe two bullets-ish. Uh, the, like the, the lads with sniper rifles are beasts in particular. There is also a puzzle element to sightjacking uh, like on occasion, you'll need something like a key, for instance, and you can sightjack someone and you may see them looking at a key or whatever. So you go, all right, the key, I know where the key is now. I'll go get that. But we're going to talk about puzzles later. Um, I just found it very disorientating. Mm-hmm. Like despite the ways in which you're able to figure out the direction of where the Shibito is, it's still difficult to properly tell where they are in relation to you unless you see the character you are playing as through the enemy's eyes. 
if any of that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> like, like there, there is, in fairness, there is a little indicator that appears on screen if a character is looking in your direction. It's a little um, blue cross. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, I still found it difficult to tell how far or near that enemy was to me, where I was. It's just all a bit, just all a bit loosey-goosey. Again, cool idea, but... I mean, even you've written down here, Adam, like, it doesn't land. No, and this is kind of the main focus of the game, is, is this is this thing, this sightjacking. And, like, for anyone who hasn't played it, it, it even though it sounds a bit like, well, so what are you doing? It, it does sound kind of cool. So the excitement was kind of there for it. This fails on every level for me. It is so awkward, unsatisfying, it doesn't really make sense like even though like the way we're explaining sightjacking it sounds like it makes more sense than when you actually play it (laughs) like the kind of coolest thing about it I suppose and this comes down to its atmosphere once again is that when you do sightjack an enemy you see their 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 point of view whatever and you can hear their breathing and all this kind of stuff and it's kind of a bit it's a bit rotten it's a bit kind of like oh what's going on here and they're kind of looking left or looking right. Some of them might kind of start walking around. With, and you can stay in this view kind of for as long as you like. Yeah. Because yeah. you're trying to like, by doing this, you're trying to figure out, oh, he's by a shed, is he? And you're, and once again, saying this out loud, this still sounds like it's kind of like a little kind of a cool puzzle or a cool way of trying to figure out the area. But because of because the game's visual is so layered in fog, I can't make out where I am. Like, at all. And you mentioned it there, what you call them, like, one of the enemies in particular, like the snipers, let's say, whatever. Outrageous. Like, absolutely outrageous. There are there were so many points that, like, I would have sidejacked an enemy with one of those rifles. And... I'm using the cursor and it's, I can see that like I'm somewhere far ahead of him there now. And it's it's around there. But I don't know what direction I'm looking at or where I'm like, am I going to go down a little hill or cl- have to climb up on something or whatever. And we'll get to the uh, the overall kind of feel and movement of this game in a while. But like when you're when you're trying to figure out where you are and all of a sudden, bang, you're just shot. And I'm just like. How am I supposed to get past this? Like, I just couldn't use it in a kind of a smart way whatsoever. I just felt like I was just chancing my arm. And like some of these missions, which are, it's just kind of weird how they're kind of broken down ever. Like some of these missions could last two minutes. Some of them could last 15 minutes, depending on the way you're dealing with it. But like you could just run on ahead as as quickly as possible and hope for the best or try and get around the obstacle that's ahead of you. But trying to get through that obstacle using this main thing called sidejacking, it's 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 not good. It's just not good. Uh, well I th- I think the two of us are on, on the same page, Adam. So like let's make it a full house. Josh Wise, <laughs> go on, stick the stick the boot in there on sidejacking. Uh I think you're both wrong. And uh I think you should shut up. Actually, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I I liked it. <laughs> I, I thought sidejacking was good stuff. I mean, I definitely I can, I see what you're saying, and like you know, darkness, fog, and all that stuff. It it 
it is like often difficult to sort of tell uh, where you are in relation to where they are and where you have to go and all of that stuff. But um, I'm maybe probably a little bit of good luck as well, because I think some stuff just sort of came together at the right time. But there were moments uh, where I was using it and I would pin, I don't know, like two or three enemies. I was a real kind of stop and tune in kind of player of siren so like i would kind of do what you did uh Cullum, and i'd like have a little look about in the sight jack at the beginning of a level and then I'd have a little poodle um and then i'd sort of try what if i got to like core generally corners were always good if you got like a big wide road there's always little sort of nooks and crannies so i sort of stop on a corner and have a little sight jack tune but when it's when it's up and running it's really, I found it to be quite effective. It reminded, actually, the thing it reminded me of is Commandos. So Commandos, which we have already talked about, um, and the listeners will be aware, had a similar sort of system where you could uh, pin the sort of situational awareness of your enemies. In a, Commandos is sort of like a top-down, you know, isometric game. Um, and you could sort of make the camera follow, I think it was up to like four or five enemies at one time. And if you were... Me and you tried it, Cullum. I don't think either one of us ever actually, <laughs> ever actually worked that out. That was difficult, to do yeah. It. <laughs> but I, I, you know, one can go on the internet and, and find very good players of commandos who've, you know, got five split screens in operation and they're keeping tabs on multiple enemies at once and, you know, Godspeed to them. But there were a couple of moments in Siren where I was able to get a, a couple of uh, Shibito, two or three of them sort of pinned. Um, and, you know, I could sort of see one of them had a rifle and I would sort of be vaguely aware of where they were looking. And when they looked away and then I'd go, ah, OK, well, now I'll run when they when they look away sort of thing. That's the sort of basic idea. Obviously, I'm saying that like it's the easiest thing in the world. I'm not not. So I, I, you know, you guys fair point And I definitely it did frustrate me at times. But um, it. Also, just had some really cool moments, and I and I just thought it, it is difficult. It is something that should be that should completely throw the game out of whack and make you feel very powerful, um, but but it doesn't, and that that's a really difficult thing. Like you, even though you can see from the killer's eyes in a horror movie, which should give the whole game away, it kind of doesn't. Uh, you still feel really vulnerable, even though you've got that advantage. But like, it, there could be just a nicer balance surrounding it. Like, it's it's a bit it's a bit outrageous how how it just presents itself in the way it does. Like, it just needed. Like, I don't want the game to be just easy breezy. I just want to be able to kind of like get a hang of it and go, all right, cool. I can definitely see my I, just see my surroundings. Like, just even to see my surroundings a little bit better. I'm with Adam in that I'd like, I don't know, something. Mm, I'm not saying that when I sightjack into somebody uh, where they are pops up on the map or, I don't know, like, even as I mentioned, like, even telling me where I am on the map. Yes. You can't even move yourself, which is kind of frustrating. So the constant tuning in and tuning out Mm. was wrecking my head. If I was able to just do that and like I'm looking through the enemy's eyes, but I can still move myself or provide some form of time limit split screen situation. Whereas like you've sidejacked in, you've now got 10 seconds to get moving. 
and find out your way around where they look at you. Something along like that line. I suppose like, like you're changing the camera angle. Yeah. And you're able to to run along. Yeah, even something like that. But then, of course, the, what's clever, or I think is kind of clever about it, is that, is that you you would never want to to see yourself because that would mean that they can see you. So yeah. I can kind of see why they did what they did. Because if you if you could move yourself while looking through the eye, because it's not just a camera angle, it is your enemy. So... That if you could control, if you could, it's probably for the best that you can't move yourself, you know, because I think you'd well, it'd tie my brain in knots because then, then I'd have to move when the enemy was looking away and I'd move my character blindly. Although, although yeah, you, you're right. You could just do a split screen thing. But then I think if you did that, you'd feel overpowered. It's difficult. Even if it's just what it is right now, right? The way the mm-hmm. game is mm-hmm. trying to even read the enemy's movements is it's painfully slow. Like, sometimes there's an enemy, you would sight Jack in, and he, as I said, he'd be looking left and right and left and right and left and right, and you'd be like, all right, he's just staying there, is he? Whatever, grind. And then you might go back to yourself, move on a, a few feet ahead or whatever, sight Jack back into the same person, and all of a sudden he's walking around the gaff. And I'm like, mm. oh, for fuck's sake. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I had it in my head that you were staying by that little hut. And that's what I was keeping an eye out for. But not you've moved on now somewhere else and now there's a tower next to you. It just feels poorly balanced. I totally take your point, Josh. Yeah, of course you couldn't move yourself because if you could, then they would see you and that's what you're trying to avoid. So I, I do get that as well. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't say it's perfect. Like I don't, I don't not agree. Like I see exactly, yeah, like I know what you guys uh, are saying. And there were definitely times I was frustrated by it as well. Idea. It had cool moments. It definitely comes down to someone's patience level, I feel, for it. I think that's where a lot of it presents itself is just that, like, how much are you willing to take on here? Because let's be honest here, this this game is, is not short. It's not a short game. No. So when no. you get this thing from the get-go and you know the length of game that's ahead of you, you're just like, holy Christ. Really? Like... <laughs> Wowzers. We are going to talk about sightjacking a bit more in the boom boom section as well. So we'll put a pin in sightjacking for a moment and talk about how good it is that you have to consider things like the sounds that you are making and your light source in your flashlight as well. Like a lot of things in Forbidden Siren, there are issues. But first of all, the sound you make, right? Like, yeah, great. Big fan of that. However, (laughs) I cannot stress this enough, right? The speed at which you move while crouched, (laughs) it is incredible. Incredible. So, right, the game tells you maybe on like the second or third mission that um, how fast you move will affect whether enemies hear you. And there are, there are basically three speeds. You can run, you can walk, and you can crouch down and move, right? That's your kind of slowest possible way of walking about. And given how important a sneaky approach is and how you should always be trying to avoid enemies, I spent a decent portion of my time with Forbidden Siren just crouch walking around like a very inelegant swan but as i said being mindful of how much sound you're making totally grand happy with that 
it makes sense. We've spoken about, about it before. We'll talk about it in future games as well. But Jesus Christ, is this slow. Like, it is difficult to communicate how slow walking while crouched is uh, in this game, to be honest. It feels like the speed at which you move in most games while you're moving on your belly while you're prone. Like we spoke about Metal Gear Solid and uh, Far Cry in recent episodes. And that's uh, when you're on your belly and you're moving in those games. That's the sort of speed at which your character moves while crouched in Forbidden Siren. And even at that, I don't know if I'm being generous. It feels slower. (laughs) Yeah, it genuinely made my 92-year-old grandmother look like an Olympian sprinter. It was... (laughs) It, I'm totally with you, Colm. It's, it's actually, it's actually mind-blowing. As I said a while ago to you there, Josh, as well, like, this is another patient situation going on here. But this isn't patient. Like, there's a difference between, like, having patience and, like, somebody taking the piss. Hmm. I mean, and even movement in general is just dreadful. Like, I know some will say late 90s horror games benefit from tank controls because it, creates tension and all that like siren has tank controls as well but it's not quite as stiff as say a resident evil right there's there is some fluidity there my my issue actually when you're not crouched and you're walking about the place i think it's too loose like I, i just want my guy to walk in a straight line and it feels like he's like a Formula One driver warming up their tyres, just kind of moving left and right on a path. Like, that's awful as well. So, like, the crouch walking feels more precise because it's slower, but just the speed is, is, is painful. Like, and that's what I mean. There's, I don't think, I don't think it's a matter of patience. I just think that the game is taking the absolute piss with that. It kind of feels like the the weight of the the overall speed kind of feels like those moments of when you play like to put into context to for our listeners I suppose but like when you play games like um, Skyrim and Oblivion and all things and you know when you, t- you you carry too much stuff with you uh, yeah when you're over encumbered yeah, yeah spot on it's, it, it's that kind of feeling when all the time it's like you're still it's so sluggish I need to get rid of this that's kind of what, it, what it's going with I thought it was alright <laughs> <laughs> gosh <laughs> I didn't crouch very much, but it made the situations where I sort of like, oh, I've got to get past this twat. I crouched for a second, got past him, stand up, on my way. Like, did you not want, at all once, did you go, fuck it, I'd like this to get going a bit quicker, no? I, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> what you're saying. And it is like, you know, very, very slow. Like, I think you probably were generous, Cullum. I think Sam Fisher and Solid Snake could probably whoop these boys on their bellies. But, um... You don't actually have to crouch. In this game, rarely do you really kind of need to crouch for more than five or six. The actual sort of like range at which people are like sensitive to your noise is, I think you sort of feel like it's big, but actually it's quite small. So I I guess, but yeah, I mean. Maybe I was too cautious. I think you might have been. I mean, early on when they teach you about that mechanic, you sort of only, when you're following the lady in the, red yes, dress yeah. um if you crouch as long as she does that roughly sort of is the length of time that you generally need to crouch in forbidden siren it's rarely more than like four or five seconds it's just like while well, they're right there you can keep moving and doing it so i think what it is 
as much as you're not, you're, you're not wrong. It's a, it is mental how slow they move. I think we've also been conditioned by other games like Splinter Cell and stuff where it's just like, oh, you can just like move around crouched for like ages. It's like, actually, weirdly, this one is a kind of rigid, stuffy version of that where you sort of need to do it in short controlled bursts. But yeah. See what you mean. See what you mean, but you're both wrong. <laughs> but yeah, maybe, maybe I was just a, a bit too cautious. I'm sorry, no. I'll take off my shirt and get all hot and bothered now over this conversation. <laughs> I, like, like the way I see this now, right, is you can't be too cautious because look at the risk. Look at the chances of getting shot in this game. Like from the distance, it's so high that like in my mind, I'm like, I'm not going to go fucking doing a Sonya Sullivan and this snow, I'm going to have to chill out a small bit here. <laughs> so like, like just going to stay crouched and go along nice and slow. But it, it just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. Well, we spoke about the, yeah, the sound that you make. I did want to talk about the, I guess the, the light that you make. Uh, and this is a, a quicker one. So similar to Basingstoke, which we covered months ago now at this stage. You'll find it in the archives, dear listener. In Forbidden Siren, you have to be mindful of your flashlight, but I'm worried Josh Wise is now going to tell me, no, you don't have to be worried about it at all. (laughs) So it's been mentioned already, but Forbidden Siren, a very dark computer game. Dark and foggy. Darker than dark. Oh, you better believe it, Jerry. Eric Bain would struggle in this light, I think. (laughs) So your light is very important if you want to see like more than two feet in front of your character in most cases. But like having to think about how much sound you're making, you also have to think about where you're uh, shining your flashlight. Like, baddies will spot you, from my experience, they'll spot you more easily if you're just swinging it about the place. And in a game that isn't actually all that scary, it does create some tension, this idea of trying to manage your light source. And I'm cool with that, right? Sort of. And I say sort of because... It's it's still too dark and too foggy. <laughs> but nevertheless, one thing I wanted to mention is that, and this is a, a cool thing I quite like, is that you are more accurate with your gun, if you're playing as a character who has a gun, you are more accurate with your gun when you have the torch turned on. It's not Doom 3, um, and we're going to discuss combat in the next section, but I still think it's a nice touch that you're just not as good of a shot if you don't have your torch turned on. Look, I'm reaching my hand out to Forbidden Siren and trying to find some things that don't want me to drive my head into a saucepan of boiling water. (laughs) And this is one of them. It's not as good as Basingstoke's torch, but I thought it was all right. And finally, one final point on stealth. Josh, down in our dock here, you have mentioned the lack of clarity in the mechanics can make for some really annoying moments, but can also be a bit special. Special. That's a strong word to use. Please explain. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, Well, so my thing, and it's, it's, it's kind of true in Siren of some of the, some of the puzzles that you have to solve as well. Um, And it's also a kind of a thing with the stealth, but because there's no, um, like, you know, radar or, uh, you know, vision cones and all that sort of stuff. What, I mean, there's the sight jacking, of course, but as we have discussed, that is not the most precise thing in the world. Um, there's a nice, or there can be quite a nice ambiguity sometimes when 
you're trying to evade an enemy and you can't quite tell they can be staring in your general direction. Let's say, for example, you're crouched behind something and you can't quite tell if they can see you, but they're staring in your direction. Maybe they sort of wander over. And when you, you could sort of make a break for it, often I found just getting up and running, it had a nice little sort of thrill to it. Because I was never, I was sort of running along just going, oh, fuck. Because you sort of don't know if they've actually sort of gone, what's that? And they're actually kind of coming after you. Now, sometimes that is a bastard because it's like, oh, oh, actually, I thought that was, I thought that was good stuff, but they actually can see me and I'm very much dead and I'll be starting this level again. Um, But then they just, it was that there were just those couple of moments where it just, it's set up a really nice little sort of curated moment of just like a tense standoff that kind of just feels a little bit more, more organic than in a, than in a lot of games. I will give specific examples of this later on. Mm, lovely, lovely. So that is what we thought of the stealth of Forbidden Sirens. We are going to take a quick break and then we will be talk. Uh, we will be back to talk about the most noteworthy mission level or area in the game, as well as our thoughts on the boom boom. So we'll be back right after this. <laughs> then let us continue our chat on Forbidden Siren and first let us chat about the boom boom which is where we talk about the more explosive elements of a game but also just the other gameplay bits as well just the the, the non-stealthy bits essentially now Adam Carroll I think it's fair to say that you weren't the biggest fan of the weapons in Forbidden Siren but before we let you loose on the weapons I think it is worth noting how it actually works in this game because you know it's different to most games where you can pick up a weapon whenever and discard it for another weapon whenever so in forbidden siren some characters will have access to weapons and others won't and some characters will have access to melee weapons others will have access to guns and even some of those characters who have access to weapons they won't have access to weapons all the time. Like, as we mentioned, you're jumping around a three-day span. So they might have a gun for part of the day, but then they mightn't have a gun for another part of the day. It's, yeah, it's not like once a character has a gun, they always have a gun. They might not. Or once a character has a bar, they always have a bar. Like, it, it varies. I had a bar at one stage, a pipe, a very thin pipe. And I came face to face with an enemy and I said, fuck, we'll give this a go anyway. And went for the old smackaroonie. And honestly, from the animation to how it, fe- how it felt and just the, the end result in general, I just in my mind went, of course, this is how it's playing out. It has this weird sluggish weight, but like I was trying to think of games kind of like it. But it just, it, it, like nobody, no human being in the world could be this bad at swinging something. That's what, that's what goes through my mind. I was like, th- th- there's no way it could feel or be this way in, in, in a kind of a real situation. And I don't know why in the video game it has to be made this poor. Now, I know they want you to struggle. They want you to have that kind of like, oh, Jesus, I'm freaking out. Kind of, I missed 
the person or whatever. But it doesn't benefit anything. Like, and I, I remember then I had, I had the gun. I had a gun then at one stage, and um, Jesus Christ, I, I, I like it was very difficult to get a to get a grip of the the gun itself, and so I just it just. Once again, didn't work for me. It didn't work for me. You have like, like with melee weapons, you have like a normal attack and you have like a, a kind of a wind up charged attack and getting the timing right is very awkward. If I'm right in saying, I think like the actual charged up like hit, I don't think it gets them in one goal. Like I think you kind of like because there's no there's no health meters anywhere, which is fine. It's mm. whatever. But like. You can't really tell how much damage you're doing because you can't really see like how much damage it looks like you're doing. And it was just it was just another thing that I was like, for fuck's sake, can this can this even work out all right for me? Well, I'm glad you mentioned there not being like health bars because that has reminded me you cannot kill the Shibito because, and I, you know, that makes sense. They are the undead for all intents and purposes. So all you can do is, you know, you can down them, right? You can throw enough ammo into them or give them enough wax of a pipe and they'll stay down for, I don't know, a minute or two, maybe. Like, one saving grace is that the Shibito, they might, like, they will sometimes lose interest in you if you're able to bypass them and, you know, get get past them with enough of a distance. But, like, some of them can kill you fairly quickly. Multiple different types as well. You just the bog standard shambling zombies, the the sniper ones as we mentioned, the ones that crawl along the ground at a fairly rapid pace. There there are ones that fly. Yeah. Those ones are absolute <laughs> bastards. But they, can I can I just say as well though one thing for me personally that I felt was kind of like kind of slightly tarnishing the overall atmosphere was when you got up close to to the to the shibitos. Like I I just felt like. It, the scare factor dropped massively for me because I didn't think they visually looked that terrifying when I was up against them. Do you know, like they when you're away from it at a distance and you can hear them and do all the side checking, that's more terrifying. I felt when you're up toe to toe with them, it kind of just feels a bit goofy and kind of hilarious. Josh Wise, tell myself and Adam Carroll why the combat is good actually. <laughs> well. <laughs> I so, so as with the many points we've discussed today, you know, I much like sight jacking, I see a point of view. <laughs> but <laughs> I have a soft spot for the melee combat in this game. I know what you're saying, it is goofy, and I do think it's probably a mistake for them to have some of the the idea of having like sniper zombies and sniper ghosts is just kind of funny and stupid and it kind of it's not scary if there was a horror movie and the ghost was also a sniper and had a rifle it just wouldn't really be a scary movie it'd just be like weird so generally you know it's not perfect but the shambling uh shibito that sort of come at you I do like it when you've got like a little pipe, a little lead pipe or whatever the hell it is. I think he snaps off a bit of a sign or something like that. He's got this lead pipe. And um, it reminded me a little bit of like Silent Hill 2, where as you you, like, you can't kill them. Like once they, once they're knocked down, they kind of, they'll they'll come back to life and stuff. 
but it is quite imprecise and you have to kind of line up the timing of your animation on the swing in order to make sure that it connects with them because sometimes they can just one shot kill you if they grab a hold of you some of the shibito and like for me i thought it was quite a tense kind of exchange like it was oh the combat mechanics are like underpowered and a little bit crap and that's sort of the point and i you know i get uh, like it is frustrating but i also had a few few moments where i was trying to time my swings to down one of these fuckers um and it was just quite tense and it, and i just sort of thought oh it's like it's quite desperate this like quite quite like it plus you know smacking one of them with a lead pipe it is sort of fun in a sadistic sort of way and i guess because you know i'm not doing it i wasn't doing combat that much so that, like when i did it was like right okay i'm gonna bloody plant my feet and try to deal with these fucks so yeah i just sort of thought it was pretty good penumbra didn't come into your head at all and i say that as the only person on this podcast who <sighs> I don't think I said on the podcast that I liked the combat of Penumbra, but I kind of understood what they were going Mm. for, um, where that was like very awkward. Like this, I don't know, I I think you're even losing that tactile awkwardness because you're not like in Penumbra, listening to the archives, you're like swinging a mouse, like there's there's something kind of a bit more to it like mm. in this you are just pressing a button like to me to me this just feels kind of awkward <laughs> i wouldn't say yeah like it wasn't brilliant but i guess what i mean is like the awkwardness was on occasion quite effective but no it wasn't as yeah but i do remember penumbra and the slightly funky swinging of the axe that had a quite a sort of tactile feel this was more a little mixture of Oh, if if I screw this up, I'm I'm dead because they can one shot you, and then okay. it, and also yeah. sort of like a double whammy of. But when it connects and I do get one of them down, that's quite rewarding, and it's got that nice sound design where it's like they must have sent someone to go and record hitting something with a lead pipe because it's quite sort of nasty. Uh, yeah, good lead pipe action. Well, we spoke about some of the ambiguity around the combat, and you know how many hits does it take to down one of the Shibito, etc, etc. I want to talk about other aspects of the game that are also quite vague. I suppose, yeah, I spoke about how vague the map was as well. All of that is a mere drop in the ocean when it comes to other aspects of Forbidden Siren. Firstly, the fact that you have to repeat levels in order to complete a secondary objective. And I should explain something first because it'll be useful for two points I'm going to make here. So, as has been mentioned, in Forbidden Siren, you're playing as 10 different characters and each character has their own perspective of the events of the game. And this is shown through a spreadsheet uh, in-game that Forbidden Siren calls the Link Navigator. And... it becomes a, a level select type thing eventually. So you have times of day on the uh, in a vertical list on the right and names of characters on a, ver- on a horizontal list on the top. So then each cell corresponds with... It's, it's fucking... It's basically Excel. Each cell <laughs> on this spreadsheet corresponds with what a particular character was doing at a particular time. Sometimes that's a cutscene. Sometimes it's a playable mission. But that's how it works. So repeating levels then, right? You might play level A. 
let's call it. And then you'll do B, C, D. So like, and they'll all happen at different times and be different characters. But even with Siren's whole timeline hopping thing, it does still feel like there is progression. But then the game will ask you to go back to level eight, complete a secondary mission in order to find a different branch in the link navigator. Because completing that secondary mission will open up an entirely new, different level. I hope that makes sense for people who haven't played it. I hope it makes sense for people who have played it. But anyway, explanation over. I just... Oh. This is awful. (laughs) Because of everything I've mentioned and some things I'm even yet to mention. Like, I definitely... I definitely do not want to go back to areas where I have previously been. Like, everything comes screeching... To a halt. Like, in a game that hardly needs more ways to frustrate the player. Like, and because this game's super hardcore, any sort of hint that pops up on screen is barely a fucking hint. Like, I'm not asking to be dragged by the hand. I'm just asking for the hints to be a tad more helpful. It is excruciating. And that is going to bring me on to a related point. I want to talk about the puzzles of Forbidden Siren and the only way I can think of describing these uh, my mind goes back 10 or 15 years when uh, striker Didier Drogba right after Chelsea (laughs) lost the Champions League final to Barcelona he looked down the barrel of the camera and he said this is a fucking disgrace and I think he was on about the puzzles of Forbidden Siren. I'm fairly (laughs) sure. I will always try to complete games for this podcast. And like nine out of ten times, I will. And when I don't, I'll be transparent where it's relevant. Like... I didn't finish Basingstoke. We talk about it on that. I, I didn't finish Commandos. I, I mentioned why I didn't on, on that podcast as well. You'll, you'll find them in the archives. I also didn't finish Forbidden Siren because I just couldn't. Even with a guide, this game, my God. Like, disregarding some of the issues I've even mentioned uh, and more I'll, I'll talk about in a while. Like, there are missions here that contain logic that, 90s point and click adventure game developers would be going like what are you are you for real like and I, I will say not all of them but a lot of them work like this they're just impossibly convoluted in so many ways I'm 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 seething just thinking about revisiting some of these so follow me on a journey right in order to complete certain objectives you have to complete certain tasks that aren't signposted in earlier missions. So you might have to do something as character A in mission X in order for character B to complete an objective in mission Y. I didn't know at the time, but what I'll talk about here now is the example. This is the most infamous uh, example of Forbidden Siren because I look. I was like, "What is this?" And I looked it up afterwards, and I was like, "Oh, right. This is yeah. This is kind of in the Forbidden Siren community. This is known." So, but I, I, I would imagine I'm talking to a lot of people who aren't a part of that community. So, in one mission, as character B, and I'm saying B for reasons that will become clear in a second, you have to grab 
an ID card, right? But there is a Shibito sitting near this ID card. So you have to distract said Shibito in order to obtain the ID. Cool, cool. There is a piggy bank in a nearby room and when you walk up to it, you're able to break it. So you go, fantastic. I'm going to break the piggy bank and that's going to get the attention of the enemy and that'll leave the ID unguarded. Oh, quid's in. This is great. Wrong. All right? And I'll tell you why. Because the guard hears it, he gets up and he kills you. Like, breaking the piggy bank there doesn't give you enough time to grab the ID and avoid death. So here is what you have to do. In an earlier mission, as character A, you are in the same area. And in this area, you must find a towel, soak it in water at a sink, and then put it in a nearby chest freezer. Important side note here. This isn't the objective of character A in this level. So you wouldn't know that you're meant to do this. All right? You go back to character B, who is on this map at a later stage in the events of the game. You go to the freezer and you... (laughs) Again, why why the character would... But anyway, you go to the freezer and you take out the now frozen towel out of the freezer... You put it between two counters. You place the piggy bank I mentioned earlier on top of the frozen (laughs) towel and then you wait for it to melt, which will send the piggy bank smashing to the floor. Obviously. The waiting waiting gives you enough time to walk to a point in the building where the enemy won't instantly kill you when they go out investigating the uh, smashed (laughs) piggy bank, right? I mean, if freezing the towel has zero to do with character A's mission, then why in the name of God would I first think to look for a towel, then douse it in water, and then freeze the fucking thing? Like, I appreciate the ambition, but why would character A be freezing a towel? <laughs> like, why? Yeah, it reminds me of that show MacGyver, you know, where the detective he tries oh, to yeah, yeah, yeah. create all that. It kind of reminds me of, like, one of the solutions that he would come up with. Like, yeah. You but even at, even at that, that's MacGyver coming up with solutions for MacGyver. Here you have MacGyver coming up with solutions for fucking Murdoch of the A-team. It's like, they don't know each other. They're they're not involved. Like, uh, there are other examples of this and some that are even just around one character. Like, there are easily missable mission-critical items, yeah, that you just won't find because they don't relate to the mission that you're on at that time. Therefore, a later mission. Like, I just, how are you meant to know this? Because Mm. this isn't an RPG or something where I'm picking up everything I possibly can. Like, I'm, I'm, I have an objective and that's what I'm going to do. And even at that, like, the Shibito's presence often doesn't allow you to search far and wide. I spoke about something similar in our Remothered episode, you know? Like, I just, it is absolute nonsense. Twaddle. <laughs> Silliness of the highest order. In other words, it's bullshit. Don't like it. <laughs> Any rebuttal this time, Josh? 
I thought it was great. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, no, yeah, you know, it's fair enough. It's fair enough. Uh, that particular solution is ill, obviously. Um, although there was what, there's one, I'll tell you what, I won't say it now, but there was one in the mission that when we, when we sort of pick, pick the area we want to talk about, there was one puzzle solution in that that made, that uh, was funny. I laughed at its, nothing logic point and click logic but and, and quite enjoyed it but it wasn't as as bonkers as uh, and actually your thing is actually even though that puzzle you just laid out is is like mental uh your thing as is, is also like the cross pollination of the link navigator and the sort of butterfly effect shit and uh, and i agree that is like next level unhinged so yeah i I, I won't i won't disagree with you on that one fair enough now there is another thing that we've written here into our boom boom section but i think we should talk about it in the next section we can link it nicely thinking talking about link navigators we can (laughs) navigate our way to the next section and link it to that so that is what we thought of the boom boom of forbidden siren so let's get on to uh, what each of us thought was the most noteworthy mission leveler area of this game. And as I always say, this isn't like the best level or even in some cases the worst level, whatever. It's it's just the level that uh, stood out to all of us. And I, 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 had to, I had to pick a very early one. In fact, it is the first mission in the game. (laughs) Uh, And I've chosen this, right? Because I knew how I was going to feel about most aspects of this game from the word go. So this is where you're playing as uh, Kyoya Suda. And this happens yesterday. So this is kind of like a prequel. And it happens at uh, 11 p.m. at night. Your objective is escape from police officer. And uh, yeah, as the teenage boy, Kyoyesh Suda, you are trying to escape this cop. Um, if you know what you're doing, you can do it in probably less than a minute. Like it's lightning fast. I think I went back and did it out of curiosity and yeah, I don't know, 30 to 60 seconds, right? So it's very throwaway. But the reason I'm including this is because it introduced something called the interaction list menu system. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. It is the most baffling dog shit thing. I I am astounded. I do not understand this whatsoever. Or I don't understand why someone would do this. So, as I said, you're escaping a cop that's been turned into one of the game's zombies. Um, He's shooting at you. You need to get away. So you run up a little bit on a path from where you start the level. You can run nowhere else. Like, it's, it's totally guided. Uh, and you discover a pickup truck. Obviously, you quickly realise, oh, that's how I am to get away from this, this cop. So next to the pickup truck, there's this little granny flat thing. You go in there, you grab the keys to the pickup truck, you unlock the truck, and then you drive off. That's the summary. And if you know what you're doing, it's like, Uh, you do it in two seconds right but my god the first thing you do is you walk inside the ground floor flat you walk up to the table and you grab the keys but you don't just grab the keys what you do is you press the triangle button to open the list menu and the options on the list menu will be pick up or shout 
naturally, you press pick up. And you, cool, cool, cool. Run out the door, head for the truck. But you don't just put the keys in the door of the truck to unlock it. No, that'd be too easy, you see. You once again have to open your list menu. Options are unlock car door and once again, shout. (laughs) Then you have to use the list menu to get into the truck. Same again. Get in car and shout. (laughs) Once in the driver's seat, it switches to first person view. And you have to, again, pull up the list menu to put the key in the ignition. You press triangle, you only have one option, insert key. And finally, you have to do that once more to drive off. And again, only one option this time, and it is start engine. Why can't the triangle button just be the interact button and let it be context sensitive? Because chances are, if I've walked up to the car keys and I press a button, I want to pick them up. Like, you might call me a liar, but trust me, I don't just want to shout at the keys. <laughs> I appreciate. There are some situations later where having a couple of options are what you're looking for. But there are even some redundant buttons on the controller. Like, there's a button just to zoom. Like, sure, it might be handy sometimes, but. I don't know, can you not stick a different uh, interaction button on there or something? Like, I'd prefer a streamlined, streamlined version of uh, being able to interact with the world much more than I'd love a Zoom button. I <laughs> don't get it at all. Because, like, we're talking about a game from 2003. Like, we're not talking about a game... For, like, it's not like they weren't able to do what I am suggesting. And they turned it into this weird, uh, as I say, kind of again, yeah, comparing it to a point and click, um, like the verb system, like, you know, the, um, oh my God, the, what's the, the Lucas Arts kind of verb system. Oh like, yeah, you know, Monkey do I, do, Island. Yeah, do yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. Do I want to pick up the keys or shout at the keys? I want to <laughs> pick up the keys. I really don't like it. And I, I like some things, Josh. When I know we we butted heads this evening, it's, it's been a brilliant tete-a-tete. Mm. Um, some of the things I'm going, oh, yeah, no, okay, I can see how you could. Like, here, you've written down that you actually really like the interaction <laughs> uh, list menu system. And I have no idea how you could. I, I have no idea how. <laughs> well, let me tell you. Right, here's why you're dead wrong. Um... <laughs> I do generally, uh, I know what you mean, I know what you mean, and it does sound uh, bonkers, Uh, you know, you don't want to be shouting at the keys, you want to be picking up the keys, and I understand that, Uh, but there are games out there where generally I don't like people going too nutty on context sensitivity. Now this is an extreme example. I'll admit that. You know, you're thinking to yourself, well, there's some keys on the table and I'll push a button and pick up the keys. And I mean, you know, Resident Evil was doing that years before uh, Forbidden Siren even came out. But what I do like uh, is it does stop time, first of all, which is an important thing. It doesn't just... It's not like you're Mm. trying to get something and fumbling it and then someone's creeping up behind you. It's actually quite a nice little 
stop and stay calm and actually sort of think carefully about it actually reminded me of the older hitman games i think uh up to and including blood money but not absolution where you would hold x as agent 47 and then when you held x a little list of actions would come up and you'd highlight the one and you'd let let go of x now that was in that was actually in real time but generally i do like precision uh, when it comes to uh, precision versus context sensitivity. And there, there is a sweet spot for sure. Um, like, you know, some games can be very crabby and grumpy and you're walking at things and doing all the wrong stuff. I appreciate that. But I do like the precision and the range of actions that you can do. Um, and the fact that it sort of stopped time every time and it, it made everything very, very, very mechanical and precise. Now, it is a bit daft. I'll give it that. It is a bit like well, what the hell else would I want to do with the keys? And it makes your character feel a little bit like a robot, sort of assessing all their choices in the world. But I do also, the, the moment that you were talking about early on in the first uh, mission was, um, I quite like that bit in the car, where it's because it's the first time you really rub up against the sort of interaction menu thing, because you're thinking, Jesus Christ, you know, start the bloody car. And they take quite a good advantage of it because you do the interaction menu to make him put the key in the thing. And the next moment to make him actually sort of turn the ignition and start the car, you bring up the interaction menu and the guy puts a brick through the window, which I thought was a really nice touch because you're sort of, you're looking ahead, he smashes the window and you're quickly sort of scrabbling around. Of course, early on in the game, you maybe don't appreciate that actually this little menu freezes the action. So you're all right. You can do it and kind of relax for a second and sort of doing it for each step of the thing. Like, fuck now I've got to turn the ignition. It reminded me of like, um, like a horror movie when someone is trying to do that in a horror movie and they get the key in, but then they got to turn it and it doesn't quite turn. Maybe it gets stuck a little bit and then they got, you know, then they got to put the foot down and go. It's, um, it would never happen now. It would never happen now. And, you know, many would say for good reason and good riddance, but, uh, there is something to it. Um, I think in that particular instance that you sort of talked about, for me anyway, it kind of increased attention. But then, you know, you might sort of think to yourself, oh, keys on the table, standing near them, maybe want to pick them up. Actually, I'd rather shout. And you can just choose to, <laughs> you can just choose to shout. And I just, I don't know. I've got nothing much against it. Yeah, yes, it's, it's, um, it's bonkers on the face of it. Uh, but it's like, it's like any, it's like any old sort of slightly difficult, weird system. You know, you sort of, once you, once you get into its little foibles, I sort of grew quite attached to the interaction menu. Made me feel like a little robot wandering about the world. But yeah, there you go. I would just like to say you're, you're insane. Um, (laughs) an insane man. Because I too have to agree with Colm here. Because I got through this mission. You can finish this mission very fast. And there is so much to take in, in this moment, right? I think I finished this mission just under three minutes, I'd say. Because, you know, you walk along, you're going, all right, cool, Grant. And all of a sudden there's this weird cop fell after you and off we go. When, when, (laughs) when that system happened for me, I was stunned. I was absolutely (laughs) stunned. 
by what was coming on the screen. I was how like, good it what? was. <laughs> I was just like, what is happening? What's going what shout pick up what is and I have to keep doing it and what's going on and I was stressing because of the situation unfolding your mom was coming after me whatever grand 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 didn't know where I was going didn't like how it was playing out got into the jeep took off mission accomplished I hadn't a fucking clue what was after happening I was like what is going on in this game already that system it's stupid it is just stupid at, at the end of the day the only good thing I'll say about it is I kind of liked how it just looked I suppose it, it yes. felt very it felt very old school horror type yes that is true that doesn't yeah. mean that it works well and it just doesn't <laughs> I get what you're what you're doing when you're comparing it to old school Hitman right but it, even in Hitman, like if you play Hitman now, and you know we will at some stage play the the for the first Hitman, codename forty seven, for this podcast. But if you play that, it that is jarring. But I don't think it is to the same extent as this is because in Hitman, and you know, I'm going off memory, there are like set rules for you to do. Like there are set actions, and you will always be able to kind of mostly do these actions whereas in forbidden siren like it'll throw curveballs yes. and throw di- throw different things at you and yes. that's where i'm like what 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 so like, like adam yeah, like true, adam yeah. saying that that's where at the start i was i was confused and like yeah i don't know like as i said you can if you know what you're doing you can finish it in like 30 seconds yeah the first time i did it i, I was probably there for five minutes because like, what the <laughs> Oh, and actually, I was going to say, when I was talking earlier, I'll just say it because this is the moment that I really quite liked the thingy. Um, When you you go into the little hut and the police fella is sort of stalking you, when I was talking earlier about the kind of uh, ambiguous kind of, can they see me style thing, I really liked when you're in the hut. And you've shut the door, but it's like glass panels on the door and you crouch down and you can look out and see the fucker like creeping around out there. And he just sort of stares in your direction. Mm. And I just found that quite chilling. And like weirdly, like I don't, he couldn't, if he could see me, presumably he would run at me. Um, but that was, that was sort of, sort of one of the examples I was sort of saying earlier about how like that, that, that lack of clarity like I was like really spooked in that little bloody hut. Um, but yes, yeah, no, I take your point. And also on, on uh, Hitman, like, yeah, the actions that come up when you hold X are, are themselves context sensitive. It's not like 47 yeah. just always has the option to shout just as a human being, like just wherever he <laughs> is. It'd be good though, just, wouldn't it? It would be good. It would <laughs> be good. Yeah, like I love that in here. You've got like, you've or you can always shout and you can always say like, come here if you were the companion. So it, it yeah, it's it's a little bit archaic. But I didn't write this down, right? But you've jogged my memory there and it's a bloody good point. Uh, and I don't know why I didn't write it down. I absolutely love the font and presentation in this game. It reminds me of like the getaway. It's got that weird London underground, like public transport. Brilliant font. I'm such a big fan of font in games. It's very basic, but it has that kind of really nice style to it as well. At the same time, like I have like, that's what I'm saying. Like that when it popped up first, I was like, Ooh, yeah. All right. 
And then when I just realised that it went to S, I just meant, <laughs> oh, well, no, that doesn't mean anything to me. I like, forget yes. about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, it's probably enough in the interaction list menu <laughs> balls. Uh, Adam, why don't you take us to a to a different topic, to a different mission? Yeah, what? What was the most noteworthy mission level to you? This is where you, it's called Reach Road to Tabori Settlement with Mayuko Kijiro, I think. Pronunciation is completely off there, I'd imagine. But um, this, up to this point, you're trying to get your bearings as we are explaining about everything. There's a lot of questions already set out there in my mind with Forbidden Siren. This it's where the game went. Do you know what we'll do for you, Adam? Do you know what we'll do for you here? No, because you'll love this as well. A good old solid escort mission. And I tell you one thing for nothing. They could, it, it actually blows my mind that they are able to make something such as an escort mission, a, a type of, of mission that I personally wouldn't be a massive fan of in Forbidden Siren. You have to control this girl. I know, as we have said, we've explained how the, uh, the 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 interaction menu and stuff like that is 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 set out there. This is what it is. So you use this to then control the 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 girl, and you can tell her do all your standard things: follow, hide, whatever. You can shout at her to come your direction. All this stuff. But what blows my fucking mind throughout this was and I still don't understand what was going on and what was happening you would you would start going on and progressing through the level not knowing where you're going as we've explained how the, these maps are you wouldn't have a clue where you're going just just winging it and you could turn around and she's fucking nowhere to be seen and you're like where is she gone <laughs> Where is she? I'm trying to get through this. And where the hell is she gone? You you might backtrack slightly and she'll just be crouched in a ditch somewhere or just, <laughs> just sitting there. And you're like, are you all right? Are, are you, are you, are you, how are you getting on? How are you getting on? Do you fancy like, getting out of this situation? This is all that I, I'm thinking of. She's probably browsing her interaction menu. <laughs> probably, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, you'd go on then. And then the game is doing the whole thing of like, you have to like lift her down off a ledge and you have to f- bring her up a ledge and stuff like that. There's there's nothing that she can do herself. It's all down to you. And when you have to control another person when you can't even control yourself, mm. it's absolutely not fun. Oh no. Like this this I don't <laughs> want this. And knowing how the game was playing out with its timeline. I was in my head going, don't ever bring me back to these two. Don't ever bring me back. All I ever wanted to hear was the dialogue. Aside from that, controlling them, brutal. Well, well, Josh, what you have written down here, I, I guess, is is similar in many ways. The the mission that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, so I was I picked, uh, so you're playing as uh, Tamon Takoichi uh, on day one at two o'clock in the morning. And uh, your the objective is uh, reach the road to Karawari with Yoriko Ano. Um, and the reason that I picked this, there's a, a couple of them. First one is the 
opening cinematic, which I, I think you've probably captured that, Cullum, and we'll play Correct. that. Cause, Correct. Because it's one of the best things I've ever seen. And uh, <laughs> the, what, the, a couple of things that make this quite good for me was, um, so this was the one where I was, was sort of alluded to it earlier, where the sight jacking uh, worked quite well for me. Um, and I actually, I played this mission twice because I wanted to sort of test out the different things that you can do. So Yoriko is following you. Um, and you need to every now and again just sort of shout at her to come here because she will do that thing that you were saying, Adam. Like, she, if you run ahead too far, you have to sort of stop and let her catch up. But there's there's like a long, uh, fairly wide bridge like ahead of you. And there's snipers that are sort of covering covering the bridge. And um, I used the sight jacking uh, on, on the snipers to tell when they were... Uh, where they were looking and when they were looking uh, and it worked it worked quite well for me because you can do two things you can turn right and there's like a little cheeky path because one of the snipers is always like looking at the bridge like he doesn't really waver so you sort of think oh okay i can't go over the bridge so you sort of turn right go down this little winding path and it's got a few really nice things this way i mean it's just it's good general uh sight jacking creeping around um but I really liked it because there's a little bit of bonkers puzzle logic that, that I quite like. You pick up a radio, which I thought was really nice. It was like a little little sort of Easter egg for Silent Hill because you pick up the radio and it's like, oh, this radio is broken. And all that all it does is it has like static coming through. And I was like, oh, that's really nice because in the first Silent Hill, you find a radio and it doesn't work, but it just emits static whenever the monsters come near. And Kaichiro Toyama was the creator of Silent Hill. So oh, that's a nice little Easter egg. And there's a, there's a puzzle solution where you there's a well, like a water well. And um, the fella that you are, uh, Taman Takoichi, just has the most brilliant uh, reactions to things. And he... There's an option to pull the pulley on this uh, well and get the sort of bring the bucket up, and he does that. And he then there's water in the bucket, and he grabs hold of the bucket. A little cutscene plays out, and it's actually quite potentially quite chilling. Um, and he holds the bucket and looks down at the bucket, and a baby's arm comes out of the water and like put and like grabs his arm, and it's actually like hot, like pretty horrible. It's I I, I but. It was a double whammy of like, I was like, oh God, but Tamon, he just looked perturbed. Like he just looked a little bit stressed and just sort of threw the bucket on the floor. He was like completely like, fuck off. Like he just didn't want, like he wasn't dealing with it. And I just thought that, that really made me laugh. Um, but also it was actually sort of quite creepy. Um, and then obviously the, the puzzle solution that's really funny is you just have to put the radio into the bucket and lower it down the well. Now, I just wanted to do that. That's just good luck or yeah, depending on how you look at it, because it's not really a reasonable solution. But it does remind me of the sort of LucasArts adventure games where it's just like, this is weird. I've just got a radio that's broken. Mm. and all, But the static's not really a mechanic too much in this game. So i got to do something with this radio. Oh, there's an empty bucket in a well. I'm, I'm going to do that. And, and that's, you know, that's what it was. And it was lucky. But it made me sort of smile because I love those old stupid puzzles. Um, also, a, a brilliant, brilliant thing for me is um, 
And you don't get it that much anymore. And I miss it so much. Um, scenery descriptions in, in, in survival horror games where you just press X to check your surroundings, you know, and you'd get, you'd get in Resident Evil, you'd sort of press X and it'd say, oh, these, these toilet cubicles are in disarray. And it just give you a little report of what that character makes of the situation. And sometimes that could be really, really, really funny. Um, because it could be quite dismissive, which, which I think is, is funny. And there's one moment, there's one moment in this and it sort of, it rang true with, with who I thought Tamon Takoichi is as a person. Cause, um, you're in a little house and there's like a, a an album, like a sort of photo album and it's bright red and it's in the middle of this house, which is mostly beige and brown. So it's clearly meant to catch your eye and you go over to it and you press the X button to check on this album. And the text that comes up just says, there is an old album. Nothing about it particularly catches your attention, <laughs> which, which is funny to me because it's like... Well, it does because it's bright red and you've put it here. And also you've made this text. This text will only ever appear if I've already pressed X. So the text is a paradox in itself. You're insane. Um, So that really made me smile. And then the other thing was, just to cap it all off, um, you actually can just tell Yoriko to follow you and... The sniper ghost fella, who's always looking at the bridge, so sort of starting the mission again to have a little play around, he can only get one shot in. It's like a bolt-action rifle. If you just start running, he'll get one shot in, and you'll go, ooh, and get kind of wounded. <laughs> you can just carry on running, and the whole mission can just be skipped. You, 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 if you run ahead on that bridge, um, it takes like 10 seconds of, of, of running over and you get all the way up to the village gate and you sort of stop and wait and she'll run up with you bypass the whole thing <laughs> I just thought that's nutty like they just it, the design of it just means if you're a bit of a chancer it can just sort of pay off so yeah just a little bit of like I don't know the open design being kind of cool the detail being kind of cool and the characterization is just out of this fucking world but we'll, we'll get to that so that is firstly what we thought of the boom boom of Forbidden Siren as well as the uh, missions and levels that stood out to all of us. So we are going to take a quick break and then we will be back to talk about the story of Forbidden Siren as well as any other little bits we want to add in our miscellaneous section. So we will be back right after this. Alright then, let us continue chatting about Forbidden Siren and firstly, let us talk about the story, the narrative, the characters of uh, Project Siren's 2003's Forbidden Siren and I wanted to start us off by first mentioning how cool I am. Alright, I'm a cool guy, I'm a pretty cool guy. Like, I, I enjoy say, you know, a Quentin Tarantino-style story mm. that, that tells me the narrative from the perspective of different characters. You know, jumping around the timeline, so you're piecing everything together. It's, you know, these types of stories often make rewatches rewarding because you're able to go back and go, ah, right, so, that, so while <laughs> they were doing this, the other characters, okay, yeah, cool, I get it, right? Or even a man we spoke about on the last episode, 
on uh, our Batman Arkham Asylum episode, Christopher Nolan. I, I can't remember if I mentioned on that one, but I watched Memento when I was a teenage boy and it blew my tiny little mind. Now, <laughs> that might have been partly because I was the right age, I think, for Memento. I think it, it, teenage boy is just about right. Like, But I, I thought it was unbelievable. But either way, I was like, oh my God, he's telling the film backwards. Like, And, you know, I, I can point to loads of other, like, you know, Gone Girl does the two different perspectives. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, I don't know, Love Actually, yeah. I suppose, <laughs> you know. Um, that jumps around, doesn't it? Not timeline-wise, yeah. but different characters. There's a more... different points of view. Yeah. No. Forbidden yeah. Siren, it opts for a similar vibe. Okay, the majority of the story takes place over the three days and you see it through the eyes of these ten different playable characters. And yeah, cool, cool, well off for that. Can be great fun piecing things together. The issue with this type of storytelling with this particular game is that Forbidden Siren is both too unclear with its narrative and too difficult for you to gain any momentum. Or difficult maybe probably isn't even the the right word. Like it's just the controls are rubbish. So I died often. And like when you die, go back to the start of the mission. So it's trial and error and not trial and error where you're learning something. It's trial and error in that you might eventually finish the mission through sheer determination and will and nothing else. So like a character will be introduced. You won't have a clue what they're doing in Haneda. um, But you know their objective is to get from point A to point B, right? Cool, cool. So you do that, mission completed, fantastic, right? Then you go do three or four other missions with three or four other different characters. And let's say you spend quite a bit of time on a couple of those missions because you keep dying on them. Well, by the time you're back to that first character, you're like, uh, what's going on? Um, what's going on here again? So like, you can't get on this timeline hopping ride because the ride keeps fucking stopping and starting. Mm-hmm. And yet, like, because the game is reluctant to reveal the motives of these people, I'm kind of left wondering why I'm meant to care. <laughs> you, you do, if you persevere, you, you know, you find out the boy at the start wants to investigate a mass murder he's heard about. There's somebody else that's a documentarian and there's somebody else who's a teacher in a local primary school. But like, the real issue is just that this method of storytelling needs to really drive forward. It it needs to have real, I mentioned the word, like it, re- it means it, it should have real momentum. And if you're having to repeat sections over and over, it's going at a snail's pace and everything is, um, I think I even said about something else earlier, like everything comes screeching to a halt. It's just, it doesn't work. It just really doesn't work. And like, I only know, um, some of what I'll, uh, I'm about to say because I, I looked it up after after playing it. Like, there are some really cool things in this game, like parallels between what the people of Forbidden Siren are doing, like the followers of Data Sushi, what they're doing, and like Christianity and Greek mythology. But the trial and error nature of the game and just the annoyance with the repetition meant I didn't... S- I didn't see enough of it. I didn't see everything and just my patience wore thin. 
didn't work. Didn't work for me whatsoever. But yeah, like a, a cool idea. But yeah, execution. Pfft. Josh Wise, do you make a similar noise with your mouth? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, kind of, kind of. I I really, really like the Link Navigator. Um, I think it's the bee's knees. Um, but I agree with you in the sense that I think the story that sort of underpins <clears throat> what's actually going on isn't very good. And that's a problem uh, because it's a problem that Toyama often has. And it's, it's kind of a weird one. It's, it's one of the things that's like less good for me about Silent Hill, the first Silent Hill, which was the one that he was involved in. Um, and he kind of, in my opinion, often fucks it when it comes to like the stuff that's actually happening. Because the stuff that's actually happening is not all that interesting. As you summed up earlier, it's this nutty god. And folks are loving this nutty god and they want to, you know, do some sacrifices and yeah, all, all that sort of stuff. It's not actually very interesting. But the, but the idea of the Link Navigator and the way that it works and the way that it's laid out is really, really cool. Um, and I think that if it did have uh, a plot that was simple, because I think that's 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 the thing with uh, with a little mechanical device like this. And it, I think it's the reason Memento works as well. Uh, I quite like Memento. I haven't seen it in years, but the sort of thing was like the device for telling you this thing is really difficult and complicated. But crucially, what is actually going on is quite simple. But the problem with Siren, Forbidden Siren for me, is like, well, what's actually going on, it isn't that simple. It's simple enough, but it's it's not very interesting and it's it's not that compelling and it doesn't really give the characters any kind of uh, interesting dimension to them. And actually, it's funny because if you look back, <laughs> it was Takayoshi Sato who actually sort of uh, kind of a, a really young developer in Team Silent who went in and corrected a lot of like plot mistakes in Silent Hill 1. <laughs> he was like in charge of all the cinematics and stuff. And he was put in charge, I think he was a creative director on Silent Hill 2, which of course is the game that everyone talks about. And I sort of thought it was funny that the same stuff that in my opinion is sort of less good about Silent Hill 1 does crop up here again. It's the fairly uninteresting answers to the questions, whereas actually it's bit more freaky if they stay unanswered. But yeah, Link Navigator, really, really cool. Super up for games doing that and stuff like it and giving you a little hand in how things sort of crosshatch, but not fueled by something that's interesting enough. So I think, like, overall, if I was to sit down and watch this story as a movie, I think I would be okay with it. Um. There's quite a bit of Japanese horror in general where I'm fine with a plot that maybe makes no sense or is incredibly vague or something like that. It's just and it just does its thing because I'm more taken back by the the, the atmosphere, the dread, like nothing is pleasant in, 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 in kind of a lot of Japanese horror. It's always just like just eerie and I think the the kind of like lore surrounding it and the the kind of imagery gets me through a lot of this. So playing Forbidden Siren, I was like, 
yeah, this is this is kind of horrible to kind of be in and it sounds horrible. So I'm kind of enjoying all that. The story as I was going on, I was like, yeah, fine, grand, whatever. But it's absolutely, unfortunately, destroyed because of the way it is told and a lot of what you said yourself, Colm. Like, I do think the 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 link navigator and all that kind of stuff and the, the way it's all designed and everything that is it's it's grand. I I can I I can see what they're going for. I just don't want it. I don't think it's <laughs> necessary. And I would have loved just a, a focus on a maximum three characters would do fine. Yeah. I don't yeah. need ten. I do not need ten. I can't keep up with that given the fact that the game is very frustrating in a lot of ways anyway it's really hard for me to just stay focused in on the story and everyone else's situation i would have just preferred to watch us on, on a movie with with um <laughs> different voice actors and stuff like that and also yeah i agree 10 is insane 10's insane ten, it's ten, insane. like 10 is if you think about pulp fiction there's like four five tops they're talking about those characters and we mentioned this earlier they do, they do have odd faces. And Josh, you made a point uh, in our doc here of saying you really liked their odd faces. And when I say odd faces, I suppose, explain, I mean, I kind of got, mentioned it earlier, but yeah, explain how, what, what the faces are, I suppose. I think you kind of, you kind of nailed it. Like it, for me, it's like, it's L.A. Noir before L.A. Noir. And actually, weirdly, in some ways it, it works a little better. So the whole thing with Alain Noir was that they had actors and then they did the motion. Uh, no, it wasn't even motion capture. It's pure performance capture, like the special rigs with all the dots. No, I guess, yeah, it was motion capture or on the actors' faces. And then they just like pasted that onto like, you know, polygonal character models onto like heads. And it, and, and it was amazing. I mean, it, you know, the, you could, proper performance and little ticks and it looks like a weird trick now it's really funny it's like that's not the way the industry went the industry went the way of naughty dog at its sort of most money boosted height but it was a cool trick it was a really cool trick and it and it wasn't cheap either this it's it's just really cool because it's just like what five six seven years before la noir and they're doing the same thing and they're doing it on PlayStation 2. And I think that they explained in the, in the making of that in any one scene, they recorded eight facial expressions of each actor and they paste that onto the model, the character model, as it's rendered in game and it flickers between the reactions. And it looks kind of funny because, you know, they don't change organically and it sort of will ghost into another expression. But sometimes it, it can actually look really, really good. And, <clears throat> you know, you can get, it's rare that you get a game from 2004 where they can sell you on that kind of performance and where you can actually legibly read a character's face and read an actor's performance. And I know it's funny because I picked uh, Tamonta Koichi, who, who is like a bastard character, but it is funny that when his, like, companion... He was like looking at this, you know, creepy village path ahead of him. He's like a professor at university. And when his uh, companion Yuriko said something, 
he immediately just looked pissed off when she opened her mouth. Like he just sort of started frowning and looking sideways at her. And I was just like, that, that is really uh, communicative. And, and I just thought it's a cool trick. And these people and this studio historically has just always been good with cool tricks that maybe they look a little funky now, but Christ, if you saw that in 2004, as we did in 2011 with L.A. Noir, you might be forgiven for thinking, oh, well, this is the future. This is nuts. Like, you can actually see, you know. To this day, I think it adds uh, the eeriness to the, the overall tone. I think it, it just, it's an, an excellent idea to have in this type of game mm. for the atmosphere overall because it's so unbelievably jarring in a weird way. You're just like, oh, it's, it, that's like. Well, it totally works in this because it's, it, it's so unsettling. Because as you said, Josh, their faces do sort of crossfade into other expressions. Like it's, it's so odd to look at, but in this world of odd creatures <laughs> and odd characters and inflections <laughs> in their voices and whatnot, it does kind of work. But yes, I did mention the odd characters and... What characters? Do you know when somebody talks about, oh, John, oh, he's a character. You could say that about <laughs> all of these, all of the people in this game. So the European and US versions of Forbidden Siren don't have an option uh, that allows you to play with Japanese voice acting and subtitles like many Japanese games do nowadays. Like in, in a lot of games today, you'll get the option to play something with the original Japanese VO and English subtitles, or you can turn on the English dub. Forbidden Siren just has the English dub. And, oh baby, what a trip. As I mentioned, I didn't finish the game, and I wish I had, just so I could get more of these cutscenes. Garth Marenghi's Dark Place has been mentioned on this podcast before. Uh, Dark was a good example of that. But this game is maybe the best. And yeah. a lot of that might have to do with the fact that the voice actors are all speaking in English accents. So maybe it's even more reminiscent of Dark Place than, say, Dark was. But yeah, it's the best for all the wrong reasons. And obviously, I have a few examples. So... First clip I want to play features Dr. Shiro Miata, who is the twin brother of another playable character called Kei Meccano. Uh, although in this scene, what you need to know is that another playable character, Risa Anda, runs into Dr. Miata and Anda is looking for her uh, twin, a woman named Mina. The doctor is also looking for Mina. So listen to this very natural conversation between the two and pay close attention to the doctor who is thinking out loud. Help! Mina. Wait, are you... You must be Dr. Miata. I'm Mina's twin, I'm Risa. Mina's sister? I was just on my way to see her. And is she okay? Where is she? Where is she? Oh, twins. <laughs> <laughs> that is, it's out of this world. 
I mean, maybe I, maybe I didn't ready our listeners enough there, because if you haven't played it, you will be going like, what? Well, baby, there's plenty more where that came from. So in this next clip, you're going to hear a young girl named Miyaka Kajiro crying over her dog who has sadly passed on. Poor, poor puppy. Uh, you'll also hear a young boy named Kyoye Suda who tries to comfort her in her time of need, whilst also trying to get her to accompany him in their search for nearby shelter. So he's going, you know, he has a heart, but he's also like, "Mm, we need to go places. So take a listen to this. Are you okay? Hey, this place is messed up. Let's just go to the church together and, and then think about what to do. The dog's already dead anyway. I'm sorry, but we have to. (laughs) That is, that's, the dog's already dead anyway. (laughs) That's top-notch stuff, that. I could go on and on, obviously, but one final one. And in this, you will hear Tamon Takeuchi. Yes. (laughs) The crowd goes wild. A university professor. And he, in this clip, he is speaking to a student of his called Yoriko Anno. And this is absolute solid gold. So take a listen to this. Professor, what is this place? Where are we? I just don't get it. What's going on? I told you to wait in the car. But, but what's happening? What is this? Why is this happening? This is exactly why I told you not to come. Professor, we need to find the villagers. They must be panicking. Please shut up. <laughs> oh. oh God, it's so good. It like, yeah. like that's that's the thing about this, right? It is it is so good. Like everything is if they meant it, which I know I obviously know they didn't, but if they had meant it, mm. it is fucking Top notch, and I I miss when stuff could be because like, these days I suppose games are too big. If, if games have voice acting these days, you, you you just don't get it this bad anymore. And you know, and I suppose it, it's difficult now in twenty twenty three because we forget that you know it. What back then it was terrible. It was always terrible. This was never good. But it was it had that pulpy schlocky quality. But because it scared the shit out of you ten seconds later, it was like this sort of sultan sweet. You know, it's like when people talk about Resident Evil and it's ridiculously low budget and Capcom paid civilians, you know, students and stuff to voice the first Resident Evil. And, it, and it's awful. You know, people joke now, oh, you know, the the Jill sandwich and uh, the master of unlocking. And it's, you know, it's fair enough. But there is a, a strange charm to it. Now you hear that stuff and it really gets in the way of how scary the atmosphere can be. But th- I mean, I can tell you my, my distant memories of this game and it would have been the English dub because Joe Moore would not have gotten the Japanese one. Um, w- it, it was just scary. You know, we, prob- we probably didn't laugh at it in the way that we do now. And that's maybe, I don't know if that's a shame or a good thing or what. I did. I will just say at this point in the pod, um, I did have a look at the Japanese version, and and it is better. You know, the acting isn't 
but you don't know what's going on. So in that sense, it's much worse. But the atmosphere is 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 cohesive and complete, and it doesn't completely rupture into laughter. So it's sad that there is no option to play it in Japanese with subtitles. But then again, you wouldn't have just heard Tamon Takoichi. I told you to wait in the car. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's one of the best things I've heard this year, I think, in games. Uh, so that is what we thought of the story and the characters of Forbidden Siren. So now this is uh, we're in our miscellaneous section where we just uh, mention anything that didn't fit in elsewhere. And I think we basically have the same point down here, Adam, which is that, yeah, the atmosphere of this game is is great. As I said many times throughout, it's eerie, it's it's completely atmospheric, the sound design is mad. Um, yeah, it, it does it all right. I think we mentioned this earlier, but every time you sight Jack to a Shibito, uh, you hear their breathing. Yeah, yeah. And their breathing ha- has different states. So there's like a relaxed state, a suspicious state, and an alert state. And I wanted to play, play a quick clip because just to kind of show you how unsettling it is. Um, but here is a clip of a Shibito in their relaxed state, just chilling out. Bit out of breath. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, here is when you sight jack into a Shibito and they haven't seen you. They don't know where you are. It's not necessarily scary per se in when you're playing the game, but it, it's it's unsettling. And I think you might have even mentioned mm. this, Adam. Like the first time you do it, you're like, "Oh, geez, oh, good. Yeah. What's what's this? Where 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 are, are they close that I can hear them? What's happening?" It really, really does work. And the music as well, of Forbidden Siren, also pretty good at creating that eerie atmosphere. Like the music isn't. You know, like you're you're not going to be coming away from from uh, Forbidden Siren whistling a tune. Uh, it's not like <laughs> melodic or anything. It's it's drones and it's sort of alien like sounds. <laughs> One of the better ways to illustrate yeah. this is by playing the siren. So take a listen to this. crawling yeah yeah it is yeah it really is and it's a really good uh it's another really good example of like toyama always being surrounded but like i really like keitiro toyama but he's always surrounded by really really clever people and that's why team silent was so good and it's such a sad story that we no longer have them that they were all developers who had failed at other projects at Konami or who were thinking about leaving the company and they all came together to form this amazing thing and they only made like a few games but like that siren was in Silent Hill and like that was a thing that people always remember the fog and stuff but in the first Silent Hill it was Akira Yameoka's sound design that like he came up with the idea of that siren and when it shifted to the other world that's what you would hear. And it was really horrible and just scared the shit out of you. And so like the fact that it comes back in this game, it's just such a lovely little spiritual little nod. And also, yeah, really unsettling, bit nasty. So that is the miscellaneous section wrapped up. That's the story 
section of Forbidden Siren wrapped up. That's Forbidden Siren wrapped up for all intents and purposes. Uh, so what we're going to do is we are going to take a quick break and then we will be back with our verdict to give you our final thoughts on the game. So yeah, we're going to take a quick little break and we'll be back to give our ratings of Forbidden Siren. All right, then. This part of the podcast we like to call The Verdict, because this is where, indeed, we give our final ratings and summaries of the games we talk about on this podcast. Today, obviously, Forbidden Siren. But before we give our final thoughts on the game, uh, we have a couple of reviews from critics um, on Forbidden Siren uh, at the time the game came out. So... First review here is from Pong Sifu, and they reviewed it for GamePro, gave it 4.5 out of 5. And Sifu said, quote, Though there are some slight flaws in the design and production, the tense paranoia combined with photorealistic character models, pseudo-scratched celluloid cutscenes, and unnerving sound design results in logical an exhilarating progression of the survival horror genre that should not be missed. Jeremy Dunham of IGN gave Forbidden Siren 7.7 out of 10, and Dunham said, quote, Siren is one of those rare kinds of games that overcomes gameplay shortcomings with its concept, style, and storyline. Uh, Joe Rybecki reviewed it for official PlayStation Magazine US, and they gave it 3 out of 5. And they said, quote, The game manages to maintain a level of tension and even the occasional moment of terror. In the end, though, the story is so fragmented, the missions so pointless and the action so sparse that there's no drive to progress. Bethany Massamia of GameSpot gave it 6.7 out of 10. And they said, quote, Siren's dreamy, unsettling experience is ultimately marred by tedious trial and error design base designs that makes it best suited to survival horror fans with a good store of patience. And finally, Brian Stratton of GameSpy gave it four out of five, and Stratton said, quote, For each thing that Siren doesn't do well, there are two innovative ideas that make it worthy of high praise. Those who enjoy it will rank it among their favourite games of all time. Those who don't should hope that some of Siren's good ideas are stolen by developers who can implement them in a less frustrating game. But lads, in particular on this podcast, none of those opinions matter. The only opinions that matter are Adam's, Josh's and mine as we bestow badges of approval or disapproval on Forbidden Siren. So how this works is that each of us will give Forbidden Siren a rating and that rating is either a pass, a play or an espionage explosion. So a pass, we don't think you should play this game. A play, we think you should play this game. Or an espionage explosion, we really think you should play this game. All rationale for ratings is entirely up to whomever is bestowing the badge of approval slash disapproval. And we change the order of badge bestowers on each episode. And this week, the order is as follows. It's Josh, Cullum, and then Adam. So Josh, take it away. I am going to give Forbidden Siren a play. Uh, and I'm going to say that I it's one of those games, I just think I'm very, very fond of it. I very much, I really like Kaichiro Toyama. I think he's one of those people 
where he's not like a household name, a, a, a gaming nerd household name like Shinji Mikami. Like a lot of people wouldn't know Kaichiro Toyama, I think. But he's just, all of his games, they always have really, really fresh ideas in them. And sometimes those ideas work. Uh, and like, if you look at Silent Hill and they're kind of genius and they're always really tricky and clever, like, oh, I don't have any draw distance on this fucking PS1. Oh, I'll do a game where there's just fog everywhere, you know, just clever stuff like that. And there's always, uh, there's always, there's always like two or three things going on that are just like, just very, very clever. And I think Siren is one of, is one of his failures. I think if you compare it to something like certainly Silent Hill, but even afterwards, something like Gravity Rush, which just has a fantastic central mechanic. And he does things in colour in that game, in place of fog, that are sort of similar. Um, there's, there's, just, there's just enough here in Siren where you can sort of think of it and you go, oh, it's his, he's trying to get back to Silent Hill. He doesn't have the, the rest of Team Silent behind him, but he's revisiting some of his ideas and he's, he's kind of doing interesting things with them. Uh, they don't always work. And I think you guys have sort of touched on why they don't always work when they don't. Um, but when they do work, you just get a glimmer of something really, really fresh that, and people, you know, people didn't take that much from this game. And, you know, even though some of the stuff didn't work, I would love to see someone do something with like the link navigator with a good story and a more simple story and maybe only three or four characters, not 10 characters, you know, I, or I'd like to see someone do something with sight jacking in maybe a more a user-friendly way, a, you know, a more a way that kind of gives you more of an advantage, maybe. Um, and of course, then there's the sort of facial animations. It's just, it's, it's, it's cool. It's inherently cool, and there's nothing like it. You won't really play anything like it, um, for better or for worse. So I typically like to, you know, take the listener on a journey and leave my rating until the end when I'm going, oh, this was good. And that was, mm, that wasn't so good. And that was whatever. Um, Stone Cold Pass, boys. Stone Cold <laughs> Pass for, for old Forbidden Siren. <laughs> there are, there are parts of me that never want to think of this game ever again. I fucking hate parts of this game <laughs> with every fiber of my being whilst also acknowledging that things like the sight jacking is cool and yeah what well, hasn't really been stolen all that much I, I don't know driver san francisco you can yeah. move to other people um yeah i don't know so like but, yeah. but yeah there are elements of this that could be uh taken by other developers um yeah, like I loved the uh, uh, the story for all the wrong reasons, like as in the characters for all the wrong reasons. That was funny. <laughs> um, there's just, there's, I, I appreciate there are some, like you used the word cool, and there are some cool ideas here, but the execution mm. is severely lacking in my estimation. And for that reason, it is a pass from me. Adam Carroll. I mean, I think I can guess, but go on, do tell. Yeah, look, it's 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 a pass from me too. And here's the thing, right, that I just want to say is that like going into this game, when I saw this game on the list, I was like, yes, I was like, this is great. I cannot wait. Um, Something that I was really excited for. It was a it was one of the horror games on the list. I was like, oh, yeah, this is going to be this is going to be right up my street. 
it went so unbelievably south for me and like <laughs> like I'm, I'm actually kind of got it over the, the experience I've had with it and at the same time I'm kind of glad now that we're finished it <laughs> put Forbidden Siren to the back of your head because yes we need to focus Gladly. on what we're going to be talking about on the next episode of Stealth Boom Boom because on the next episode we're going to be looking at a game that had a major mic of GamePro saying quote if you crave a dark challenging game this completely fits the bill if you have the fortitude patience and maturity to hit its mean streets Kristen Reed of Eurogamer said quote whether you're comfortable with gratuitous violence is the most important issue you should confront before you consider grappling with the most morally challenging game ever made and Alex Porter of Maxim Magazine called it quote a subversive parody that cleverly indicts our depraved culture another 20 year anniversary on the horizon and for the first game in one of the most controversial video game series of all time. Yes, on the next episode of Stealth Boom Boom, we're going to be discussing, reviewing, dissecting Manhunt. James Earl Cash found guilty and sentenced to death, has been on death row for the past three years and was executed last night. You've had an unexpected reprieve. Do exactly as I say, and I promise this will be over before the night is out. A biggie. From the people that brought you mm. Grand Theft Auto. I think, I feel like we've had a conversation about Manhunt before, Josh. Have, have you played Manhunt? Yes, I played it a few times. Big game when I was a kid. Uh, that was the game I told you about that time where uh, this guy from school, Ryan Martin, bought it <laughs> from an MVC. Oh. <laughs> and the lady said, are you 18? And he said, no, no, it's a video game. And she, and she went, oh, right, okay, and sold it to him. <laughs> yeah, I remember Fantastic stuff. Oh, Adam, do you have, did you have to <laughs> tell the person behind the counter, no, no, it's a video game, it's fine. And then that convinced <laughs> them. Or have, what, what's your history with Manhunt? Um, I knew of the game. But really and truly, all I cared about at the time would have been Grand Theft Auto when it came to Rockstar, I guess. I haven't played Manhunt. And there was definitely a part of me that, like, because of the controversy around it, I was like, oh, it's banned. And it's, oh, I, 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 I would like to play this. Uh, I don't know much about it. I know there's a guy in, like, a kind of a hockey mask um, in the co- on the cover or something. It's all down. Da- and it's from the people behind GTA. Wow, what, what is this? But I, I sort of conflate Manhunt and Manhunt 2. So I was like, is that one banned? Is this one banned? Is the da 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 But look, we're going to get to the bottom of all that in a fortnight's time when we take a look at Manhunt and the history behind Manhunt and all of that. So if you want to play along at home, 
Grab Manhunt. You can get it on most things. It's on the Xbox Marketplace. It's on PSN. It's on Steam. It's, yeah, you can get Manhunt pretty much. I mean, for a game that's banned. Um, well, it's in fairness, it was never banned <laughs> no, in the UK or Ireland. Not in this country. So yeah, no, get no. Manhunt played and then we'll chat about it in two weeks time. But that just about does it for this episode of Stealth Boom Boom. Thank you very much, dear listener, for listening. Of course, you can subscribe to our lovely little podcast via all your podcatching apps such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Pocket Cast, etc., etc. Just search for us on your favourite podcast app and you'll find us there. And also, if you're on like Apple Podcasts or Spotify or, I don't know, I think they do, do the other ones do reviews as well. I think they might. Review us on your podcast platform of choice as well, please, because those things, they do help. So, you know, if it takes you like 20 seconds to pull out your phone and click the five stars, that would be lovely. Thank you very much. You can also follow us on social media. Stealth Boom Boom is at Stealth Boom Boom. I am at column underscore her and Adam is at Adam Zokes. And Josh is at Joshy Wise. But now it is time for my least favourite part of the show. This is the part of the show where we must bid the listener adieu. So say goodbye, Adam Carroll. Goodbye. Say goodbye, Josh Wise. Bye. And say goodbye, Colm O'Hearn. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. We could. I suppose we could talk for another while about Forbidden Sire. Like, why end it now when we're we're on a bit of a roll? Like, I I I, I have a lot more thoughts on the game. Please shut up. All right, all right. Stick my camera and slow on. Go fall.